Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Eastern Shorecast. This is your boy Steve here. He's got the big man himself, Mr. Rich. You know, he's decided to sit in. We're going to do something a little different for Father's Day this uh, go around. We're going to have the, the dad's perspective, how they got started and how these these kings among men got their starts. So dad, thanks for coming on. This is Rich Mason, by the way. I'm happy to be here, Steve. It's uh... <laughs> It's it's a delight. Yeah, he begrudgingly came along with. I think most of the fathers are doing the same thing, but it's okay. So uh, we just invited you here because you never get invited to the house ever. That's true. But uh, <laughs> we just wanted to have you here to see kind of how you got started in fishing and how that kind of transposed to us. We have a lot of father son listeners and father daughter listeners and you know daughter father whatever else listeners. So, uh, how'd you all get started? What's uh, tell us some stories about my grandfather, which uh, I, unfortunately I never got to meet, but it seems like I'm uh, cut from his uh, loin, his tenderloins. How's that? You Disgusting. Missed, you, you missed him by quite a few years. <laughs> yeah. So he passed in what 1966. 66. So he lived to be 62, and he was he was a wild man, from what I understand. Well, he was a sailor, drunken sailor. I always call him a drunken CR because when he was home, he was drunk. <laughs> he, uh, that's what CRs did then. He, he sailed the open sea and came home and but enjoyed you, himself. But you're not giving the man enough credit. I mean, he wasn't just a sailor. At one point he was, but he was, you know, the master and commander, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. Ship. Yeah. It's just, unfortunately, sometimes some of the crosses we bear are not exactly things we can escape. It's a, it's a shame that I really never got to... to uh, Know him as well as I wanted to. Um, he uh, he wanted to give up the captain's life and spend time at home with family. And uh, every time that happened, he needed some more money, so out to see he go. So but, what uh, what was his rank? What was what what kind of um, what kind of shipping did he? I guess pilot. He was captain in the merchant marine. Uh, he was he was. I guess he was dragged into the Merchant Marine in the 42, right before the war, as the war was starting. And uh, he, uh, he, he, he liked that, but he wanted to be home with his family. And that, uh, that's understandable. So he was overseas, I guess, as, as the Eastern Front got liberated. It's, we have some pictures that he actually was a, an amateur photographer, which looks uh, most of his work looks pretty good. He actually had a dark room on the ship, one of the pictures show. And um, of him actually developing the film, who knows who took the picture, but maybe he did himself. But it's I think he probably did himself. Uh, that was his biggest hobby and something to do while he was out at sea. What about, um, so he went over, I guess, after the Eastern Front was kind of liberated. Uh, I think the dates on the pictures are like 1946, 47, something like that. Right. That's a lot of different things. I believe they landed in Italy. He was on, what, the Joseph S. Meeks, which was a Liberty ship, I believe? Most of the pictures I have are from that ship, but um, he's, he's worked for a number of different companies, uh, and, and therefore a number, number, number of different ships. But the Meeks pictures right. stand out. I believe his last hurrah, he had a, a massive heart attack and was kind of grounded, so they wouldn't let him go out to sea anymore. Or I guess he chose not to, and I think his last renewal of his license, I think radar was just becoming mandatory on a Master Unlimited license, and he's like, yeah. I believe he got some answers from a pal of his just so he could maintain his license, correct? Now, you're not supposed to talk about that. 
Coast Guard's listening. Well, they're uh, fine. They're pals <laughs> but, of ours. But yes, he, he, um, his his last wish was to get his final license. He, he stopped going to sea, but they came out with the uh, radar, and he knew nothing about radar. So a good friend of his um, just gave him the answers, and uh, he maintained his license all the way through his death. Well, that's good stuff, other than the death part, I guess. Yeah. So how did that translate to you? After after shipboard life, what was it like with you? I mean, he came back. He was, I believe you've told me the story, he'd come back flush with cash. You guys were the first to have a television on the block and first fancy one, Italian bikes. All the neighbors would come in and watch television. They never heard of such a 10-inch screen, black and white, of course. And uh, he, uh, yeah, we, when he was in town, we had money. <clears throat> and then when he ran out of money, he went back out to see. I think, I think it's normal for... He paid for a Catholic school education for you. Yes, he did. So that's at least something. And he, he yes, and he bought a house and he maintained, you know. I think a semblance between Shay and I, too, well, you know, the business is doing its thing, but when I get off of my real job, I have, you know, somewhat copious amounts of time, so we like to spend some time together, and it's it's not your typical, okay, let's play in the sandbox. It's like, hey, we're going to this marine store, or we're going to this fishing store, or whatever, and it's just, that's our kind of time together. I think you and him did, you know, things very similar to that. You and I definitely had done that stuff forever. We'd just leave on the weekends, and wherever the wind swept us is where we went. Yeah. And and the, the Shea thing is is true because uh, I think you and I talk to each other very little because you're busy as hell. That's true. I guess it's a good problem to have. Yes. But yeah. this is coming from a relationship where growing up, I mean, we spent every waking minute together on the weekends. At least you worked, obviously, but and I went to school. But on the weekends, it was you know wide open. We'd fish and carry on and go to wherever. Oh, we could. You couldn't keep us off the water. Um, so yeah, how that gets it, with your father? Um, he had a piece of shore property. We were—he's <laughs> regaling me of pictures of his uh, acquisition. What? What? Uh, what was that? He um, wanted to buy a waterfront property. His idea was at some point we would move out of the city, uh, Baltimore City. And of course, it's not like it is <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, not like it is today, I'm not sure. Not like it is today, though, but uh, he, he thought, you never know. So he bought this piece of property, and he and I used to go down and cut the grass and do all those things. We had some boots there. We'd do some rowing, and um, he that was his thing. Um, and when I first uh, got married, um, he approached me and said, uh, are you going to do anything with that lot down there? I said, Dad, I'm you know, just starting my career and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I'm going to sell the property and uh, help you get a house. So that's what he did with the property. Right. But I had a lot of fun days down there. Uh, we, he even, uh, we even drilled a water well. <laughs> drilled down and get a well. We, you actually turned it by hand, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a lot. Well, he um, he also acquired a what, 30-foot wooden kind of <laughs> whatever you want to call it, Mo- boat motor and everything from what uh, across the river there and had some of his buddies off the job, drag it over for him. Yeah, he was coming from, and I'd like to say something uh, to interrupt the conversation here. Oh, man. Um, I want to apologize for the people in the Magazine River. <laughs> I listen to this podcast often, and and the Magazine takes a beating. And let me just say this, it's the finest river on the, on the, 
on the bay. <laughs> yeah, okay. We, you and I, I spent a lot of hours on that, yeah. on that bay. Sure, that's I mean, why. That's why I pick on it. That's it's and it's funny to some of the listeners. They're like, well, the Magathies with per- uh, anglers had something earlier this year where they were catching perch and showing techniques. It was on the Magathy. I'm like, yeah, well, Magathy's got fish. That's why we always give a great report from where we catch all our beautiful species on the eastern shore. But it just so happens we run our boats at great expense and time invested to the Magathy to fish to make sure that we get good catch. So, Yes, the Magathy in my day was full of perch. Uh, it was perch heaven. And uh, things change as... Like yeah. Well, you get development too. I'm sure in your day, the the uh, the hills and everything around it weren't as built up as it was, and we had you know friends that lived on North Shore, and if people go down Mountain Road, North Shore community, all the way in the back, all the way back, it was across from some marina. I don't remember. It was very sailboat centric though, and we spent a lot of time at that property, fished and crabbed and all that out of that. And then when, you know, you retired and moved to the Eastern Shore, getting ahead of the conversation here, but, you know, we then we discovered the real way and all the little tributaries and little holes and all that secret stuff and all that kind of thing. I remember when I went, came to the Eastern Shore, that was around uh, 95, somewhere around that area. Um, you were still in Baltimore. You were starting your career at the fire department. And, uh, well, that was 2009, but yeah, I'm with you. Okay. But we were, <laughs> yeah, but we were down there before 2009. Right, 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 sure. And when I told you, hey, get a job, um, you tried college for a while, and that wasn't it. So I said, okay, <laughs> go get a job. You don't want to regale the listeners with my success in college? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I, I knew. Uh, I was the same way in school. I just wanted to get going. And you did. You got going. You went up to Baltimore. You uh, you. you Worked and worked and worked to get get in there, and you got in, and you're happy, um, and that's fine. You said, uh, "I remember something you said to me. I'll never forget." It. That Dad, I want to go get a job, not in Eastern Shore. I don't want to be a chicken farmer, and I don't want to work in the hotel industry. That's true. Well, and that's very true. Cause I ended up working the hell in the hotel industry down here. But anyway, you went to Baltimore, and you weren't up there long when. Back you came, and you've been to Eastern Shore, Eastern Shore ever since. Yeah, it didn't take long. I mean, there's a lot of good life, and a lot of our listeners are from that area, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of opportunity, but also we have something very special here on the Eastern Shore. I think we've found through the years, and again, as my upbringing here, we fished primarily out of Chris Field most of the time, and you'd go and you'd pass six or eight boats, and most of them were working for a living. And up there, that's obviously not the case. There's been some fish caught around a certain Eastern Shore place up there we saw some videos today about it and it's been a hellacious crowd and we just don't have that here ever which is phenomenal yeah it's, it's a different world and uh, i feel for the uh, people that were here before we got here right because all of us were transporting ourselves over yep. here we're all come we're all come here unless you're yeah, from Kersfield, i guess yeah and the people are out of this world it's just a great place to be so back to that, outside of the commercial world with, with your father, how did you get involved with um, fishing and all that kind of stuff? Take us through the 70s. How about that? Okay. I actually um, didn't start fishing until I was about 21, 22 years old. It was all work. Boats were work, and that's what you did. You didn't, yeah. you didn't fish. Yeah. You didn't enjoy. You just worked. And I, uh, I started working for Baltimore Gas Electric Company, BG&E, and uh, 
they had these different clubs, uh, different groups for bowling and for this and for that. And uh, some of the guys at the fish said, hey, why don't we start a, a fishing club? They were all drinking clubs, by the way. Well, that's what fishing clubs do. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> yes, they were. And uh, we started that, and, and I ended up being the uh, chairman of events. And for the next, uh, oh gosh, 10, 12 years, I was the chairman of events. And we, we, we did some n- neat marvelous things fishing so uh, that was my introduction to uh, and these are the days of actually big rockfish and big bluefish in the bay correct no the big bluefish yes rockfish believe it or not back then and i'm ashamed to say this but 10 10 inch rockfish was legal right and we were catching 10 inch rockfish and you'd fill the decks with them too right some people would brag about the uh, charter they were wanted 200 fish we got 200 fish well what are you going to do with 200 fish (laughs) And you know, the sad part is that's what people would do. They would take them to their neighbors because they didn't know what to do with them. Right. That's a, that's a, and then that ended up with them having a five-year moratorium on rockfish. Right. Um, so, I mean, you've had your fair share of boats. You want to start with the first boat that got your feet wet? <laughs> <laughs> you remember that story. I do. I do. It's a good story. When I was, gosh, what, 21, 22, 23, I'd never had a boat. And... Uh, my father had a couple boats. We played around with them, but I wanted my own boat. So I went to a dealer one time, and I saw this. If uh, any of you out there are familiar with Revelcraft, beautiful old boat. <laughs> Most of them are wood. I think they were all wood those days. Nobody wanted a glass boat. They weren't having come out yet. Yeah. I mean, very few people had glass boats, and when they did, they were expensive. And they said they weren't. They wouldn't ride like the wood boats. They'd pound your teeth out, which That's is funny. Right. That's right. <laughs> and... Uh, so uh, I went to this dealer, and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get into boating. I'm looking to get something, something to get my feet wet. And he pointed to this boat, this wooden boat, and said, I guarantee you, get your feet wet in that boat. <laughs> but I had that boat for a number of years, and we did a lot of fun crabbing fishing on it, so it, it worked. I believe that boat found its way to the bottom, too, didn't it? Um, probably, but... Wasn't if, that one that was hung by the lines in, if, the, in the slip? After I sold it, I sold it to some poor slob, and... <laughs> He, uh, he took it, and uh, I delivered it to him. So I guess that somewhere along the line, it's it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's dead. What was the boat that you had? It was in the slip, and some storm rolled up, and it ended up sinking in the slip, and you righted it and painted it patriotic colors? That was it. <laughs> that was the boat, red, white, and blue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she was a gorgeous, gorgeous craft. Well, I'll say this. When I was traveling or to wherever we were going fishing, I uh, got a lot of people waving and honking. <laughs> so they liked it. This was what around the bicentennial, so I'm sure they were lit up about it. We used to go up to. Um, you called it the Critter Gator, right? I didn't call it that. <laughs> I've just messed with you. I think it was one of the variations of the loose goose. Well, the irony, irony of, it, of that boat is that I always trailed it, and then finally I said, I'm going to put it in the slip. That way I can get in and out quicker and all. And I went to this bar where they had boat slips, put the boat in there. The next day, a tornado came through there, and that's what <laughs> put the boat underwater. So uh, I had to do a lot of work wanted to get it back back in shape, but um, that was the end of that boat for me. But then we had uh, the boat that you referred to as the buddy boat. Mm. It was a, what, 20-foot angler, I think it was. Yeah. Green hall sides on it, lap strike construction. 
That boat would take go anywhere in the bay. And you did. Loved that boat. Yes, I did. And it, what there was a above deck six gallon tank or twelve gallon tank, and that was you lived or died by that. Wasn't much. Well, if I ran <laughs> from, I kept it at one point on the Magathy, and I would run. There up you as, go. Run up as. So if you're going down Route 2 and you're right by, what road was that? It doesn't matter. I remember where it was. I I could get you there now. I don't even know if that marine is there. I'm sure somebody bought it and built it up something crazy. I don't know either. But if we ran from there up to uh, uh, Seneca Creek, um, that was, you better guess up, Mm -hmm. up there before you came back. Um, yeah, that was trailerable. I've, there's pictures of me on it. Um, it was a great boat. And there's a lot of uh, stories. I don't know if you want to regale the people with falling into their collapsible toilets and getting stuck out in some hellacious summer storms and all that. Hey, fishing is supposed to be fun. It was fun, I'm sure. <laughs> like, we were looking at pictures. They did like a crab off with him and uh, Merle Greenwalt. If anybody knows Dad, that's, they were close buddies, and Merle's an interesting character. Um, he was the, hey, man, can you? You know, you come over, hey, man, can you winterize the motor? Hey, man, can you tend this, tow this boat around? Hey, man, can you help me do this thing? But, I mean, he was always share. He'd go out crabbing or whatever off the pier and always have big parties and all. One that uh, Rich Stab was very uh, <laughs> enjoying himself with. We had a, uh, it was three of us, and uh, it was Larry Sparks, Rich Stab, and myself. And Merle would say, well, I towed the boat. I was the official boat tower. <laughs> And Larry was the engine guy. He was a mechanic. And Rich Stab would go wax and polish the boat. <laughs> but Merle, all he did was turn the key and go. Yeah. But uh, he, any, any time, and me especially, he would you, we'd come down to a shore property and he would just he'd take us for a ride. Didn't matter. Go fishing, crabbing all day. He didn't care. <laughs> uh, he retired ahead of you guys, I think. And then it was... You know, game on, whatever you guys want to do. And you, there was always crabs and beer around. I remember that, always. He had a refrig- two refrigerators in the kitchen, one for food and one had a beer tap on the front of it, and you would just go help yourself. We loved our crabbing, and the crabbing we did was, excuse me, I was uh, hand lines. Mm-hmm. We never, just enough for us to eat, to drink a few beers and eat, and that's all we needed. Yeah. And he, um... I got a call one Sunday evening, or no, it's over the weekend, from Merle. He was down at Dickery Point. You remember that because you ended up fishing there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and his boat broke down. Somebody towed him in there, and he says, uh, "Can you come down and get me?" Well, I had my boat on the on the trailer, so I took the boat off the trailer, drove all the way down there. This is from Middle River. I was in Middle River at the time. Nah. Yes, I love Middle River too. <laughs> we love you, Middle River. Uh, not as much as Magazine, but we that, love you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, uh, I drove down there, and I get there, and the, the gate—it's fenced-in gate. This is at this marina. There on the inside of the gate, and someone went out and locked the gate on them. They didn't have a key, so we transferred all the stuff from the boat over the fence into my car and I came home and we went back the next day and got the boot so that was I believe your supervisor allowed you to leave on company time and go down and get the boot yeah. he was one of the people that was fishing so yes that's, that's <laughs> true he was very uh, very uh, obligated when, when uh, you wanted to do something so fast forward to your retirement 
your first retirement, one of many, <laughs> and uh, the Eastern Shore Proclamation. And fishing out here, how we transitioned from like a trolling thing to a light tackle, shallow water thing. So I, I guess, you know, typically in the upper bay, you guys were trolling. Um, I mean, that's all you guys did on, you know, loud boats. And down here, that's really not the game. It used to be, but it's not so much. It was We had a hell of a ground fishery at the time, too. In the upper bay, when I fish up there, um, you use a bucktail and whatever you want to put on the end of the bucktail, and that caught everything in the bay. Uncle Josh. Yeah, Uncle Josh. Pork rinds. Yeah. Yeah. I think you still have some of those in the jars, which you can't get anymore. Uh, no. And uh, if you if you don't get them back in the jar, they talk curl, curl up and... Yeah. But that would catch anything in the upper bay, and that's all people do is troll. You see people, every, uh, boats everywhere, just going around in circles. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I came down to the eastern shore and I found that's a whole different ball game. Uh, light tackle, gosh, that's fun. And chasing birds, oh my lord. <laughs> so Stephen decided he was coming to eastern shore. Um, he came down with his trolling rides and his trolling, <laughs> his, what do you call them? The uh, planer boards planer and boards, all that. Yeah. yeah, that you yeah. made. Yeah. And uh, we tried it a couple times, but I said, Steve, you know, down here, everybody seems to. And it wasn't long before Steve sold his uh, trolling rides, and it became a Eastern Shoreman. Yeah, I mean, we we I think the extent that you guys would do when I when we when Lindsay and I came back is we basically bank trolling, which people still do, and you can see it all over the place, and it's definitely effective. But I mean, you can now with the the um, improvement of trolling motors, you're basically I. Same thing with clients. Anybody that's fished with me before, you know, you're on trolling motors, just kind of buzzing around certain points and holding you to certain points and casting, retrieving, cast, retrieve. And these that's what these guys did. We'd go out and run all over the world, get out in the middle of the bay on these, you know, so, somewhat small boats on these days we probably shouldn't have been out there. But, you know, like, all right, you get down. Oh, we're going to try another spot. How long? Okay, we're going to run about a half an hour. Half an hour? Like up there, you're half an hour, you're, you're where you're going to be, and that's it. Down here, it's a big stretch of stretch of water. I remember a lot of a lot of days, but one day in particular was cold as the devil. It was freezing. You took me in your boat down to uh, uh, I guess we were uh, Watts Island well, that we, day. We hadn't gotten to watch yet. <laughs> <laughs> we were fishing at Tangier Island, Tangier mm-hmm. Island Light, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we started heading over towards Watch Island, and, and Watch Island, and the engine crapped out. And you said, "I'm going to fix it." I'm going to fix it. I said, "Wait a minute." <laughs> I don't know. It didn't crap out; it just lost power. Yeah, the the linkage to it had broken, so you had to hand throttle it all the way in. It had a little bit, and we duct taped and wired it together, and yeah. And it's freezing cold. I look around; there's not another boat out because mm-hmm. that's that's Steve. He he fishes. He fishes. <laughs> um, and I said, "You put put in there." And when we get into uh, the dock, then you work on it. And that's what he did. And uh, I'll never forget that that's so if he starts working on that engine out here with no help coming. Well, we fixed the linkage. At least we got in. That's a good thing. We caught yeah. fish that day, too, folks. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so, this, was, this was like the middle of November. For some reason, the high that day was 17 degrees. We had ice on the washboards, and we're trying not to die. And we're just bailing beautiful rockfish. I mean, right right at the puppy hole. There you go. Anybody wants to know, that's where we caught them. 
So we decided to run Tangier for whatever reason and caught him at Tangier Light and round the bit at the very end of Watts Island, the Watts Island Rocks, and there she goes. I'm like, so, oh, we're gonna die. So when he got the engine running, we ran up to the Magathy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, Boat had an enormous fuel tank, <laughs> and it was blowing twenty knots too that day. It was it was oh, no joke. It was a cold day. <laughs> it was a nasty storm that, blew. and this is November. I think that's, that was the coldest year, I think, on record at that point. The sound had fro- froze over, and people were riding their four-wheelers back and forth to uh, the 12 miles back and forth to Crisfield Harbor to... Okay, everybody uh, everybody, cool out for a minute. We'll pick this up in a minute. And we're back. Thanks, Kyle. You on there, Dad? You got your microphone on? All right, cool. So fast forward, we're back to um, cold days in November and fishing the MAGA thing. So we, we put in on the small boat, get her tied up, and that was pretty much all I could do. Um, that boat is now Mike Lloyd's, and he's enjoying the hell out of it. So it's good stuff. This is pre-Parker, which was cool. I hope you realize I didn't tell the rest of the story. You can tell us the rest if you want. I love this rest of the story. He... Uh, as I say, he was going to work on it out there. I said, no, you don't work on it in the middle of the sound here. And it's, it's rolling pretty good, if I remember correctly. It was just a miserable day, but we were catching fish. Um, so we get back to the dock, and he starts working on the boat, and the first thing that happens is he yeah. drops a screw down into the stores of starter. I don't remember. Something something and on there, yeah. I said, where's your magnet? You know, the magnet. He said, it's home in the toolbox. <laughs> so... Uh, Anyway, we we went and got that straightened out. But if that had happened out there in the water, I would probably kill him. <laughs> yeah, we were, we both would would have died. Well, Dad would have brought the boat successfully. I would have been dead on the deck, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, how about now? What about uh, do you look forward to fishing with Shay and having that kind of interaction and seeing how she does stuff? I with, know that I know that you hate fishing all of a sudden, but well, well it's not I hate fishing. Um, but when you get you on the water, you can't get you off the water. That's true. And at my delicate age of 93. <laughs> yeah, 93. <laughs> um, I just can't take a whole day of it out there, especially with the sun and hot, the heat and all that. But um, no, I, we haven't, I haven't fished with you for, what, two or three years. But then again, you've been so busy with the charter that's, business. That's true. That's true. So, now, we'll get you out there with Shay. She's a ball out there. She And she's just like me. She does not want to go in. Lynn's will be like, can we, like make this go like well let's go get something to eat or at least do something fun not that she doesn't like fishing don't take i would never take that away from her she does enjoy it but after a long day especially if it's rough out there Shay loves it she's jumping the waves faster the better that kind of thing and that's definitely you and i dad and that's she gets it honest you know she does um she will so the the whole joke about the loose goose thing is that's what i forget was it pellegrino that said does this boat have any other speeds and stop and full throttle it wasn't him. It was someone else. But uh, we, uh, I guess we Masons were known to be a little fast on the water. Uh, I, I say we Masons. I, I know I was, and I think Steve picked it up for me. But, yeah, they uh, they would say to me, it's just it's just different, different speed. Uh, but, uh, hey, it's my gas. I'm burning. <laughs> That's with clients. I mean, we've had our string of pretty nasty weather here, and we've, we'll run all over the world. You think it's okay? Yeah, it's fine. Just sit down. The boat will take it. It's fine. The boat can take more than we can. So, but yeah, I think I look forward to uh, fishing with you and Shay and, and getting that kind of going. I think she's a, she's a lot of fun, and her attention span's surprisingly pretty good. She'll she'll be five in December, so you know her and Uncle Dave have been out there and 
He said, well, I'm going to do this real slow. I said, you just do whatever you want. Take the bow. Like, we'll fish the stern. Don't don't placate us. Like, we'll figure it out. So the, the mechanics of the casting and all that stuff, that's pretty typical. And If, not mista- if I'm not mistaken, I think I have a, I saw a video of Shay running his boat. Yep, absolutely. That was two years ago, too. She was, you know, almost two. two you know. <laughs> she was also in utero after a tournament. Lindsay wanted to go for a boat ride, so, of course, we went and hold, held her wide open, and Shay was in utero doing that. So she, she gets it on. I'll tell you this the cool story. We, we took her for the first boat ride. And this was behind Ocean City, you know, going back to Aztec, just putting around. And um, she was in the car carrier, and I was nervous. I know Lindsay was nervous. We took her out there, and, and we're putting around, and we're looking and looking. She took a nap on the car ride there and stayed asleep. So we transfer her over the boat, and we're running around and go to the Verrazano Bridge and around. And we're on plane, you know, hitting boat wakes, and anybody that fishes or messes around back there knows that it's it's not uh, devoid of people and uh yeah she stayed asleep the whole time and when she woke up she just wanted to look around and see things and she's been on the boat ever since even when we clean the boat or work on the boat she wants to be right there with you not you know she's she does the i want to drive thing i want to drive and then she does and then she's done with that for 10 seconds and looking at this and picking that up and so i think i think what we were uh, aspiring to do um, is have our fathers come on, or in Kyle's case, Kyle wanted to do the interviewing with Carter, which we think is excellent because Carter's a fishy little dude. And uh, begrudgingly, I don't want to tell him that his head will get too big and can't walk out the front door. But those two dudes are fishy guys, and Dave's gonna, you know, talk to his father and all that stuff. And I think it, if we don't have the, we're tr- our, what we're trying to aspire to do is have you know, a glimpse of the Eastern Shore and, you know, the traditions and stuff that we're striking, whether we know it or not, we want to preserve that. And, um, you know, I, I get a lot of my prowess and my, my, you know, wherewithal from my father, and I wanted to give him the chance to have his own damn story because anybody that knows him, he's got a story for everything, which is great. Um, but I think it's as good to go out to the fathers out there and the father-son teams and stuff and how to kind of get into it. You don't have to do full days. I mean, when I was young, we did full days, but we had a cabin. I could take a nap. We could do this. But it was full days trolling and slow and, you know. But you can do that. You can work up to that. You know, with Shay now, we can go as long as we need to. We're cognizant of the sun and the conditions and all that stuff, but you don't have to you know, have a cop out or even anybody with a boat or charter service or just to see if it's something to do. I I know the memories that I have with my father in particular will never go away. And I think I would, I'm not going to speak for the man, but he vividly tells stories of his fathers from, from the, you know, late fifties, sixties. He still has it right on, right on the front of his, his mind. So I think that's important. And, uh, we all appreciate you listening and, uh, Keep your heads up, and anything we can do, anything you want to hear, let us know. Um, Dad, you got any fun last words for all the multiples of listeners out there? I just want to say thank you for including me in this, and uh, I've been proud of you many times, but most of them were around fishing or boating, so uh, it's your life. I know it is. Well, I appreciate that, Dad, and I thank you for coming out. I know this is not the easiest for you, but some, 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 some. (laughs) <laughs> bottles of lager took care of that and yinglings this drink anybody you see him out there buy him a beer so all right guys we're gonna play you out and listen up for dave and kyle hey hey it's kyle and little man carter on here welcome back to another 
episode of Eastern Shortcast. There you go. Look at him. Young and inspiring. Um, Father's Day. Uh, we were going to do the whole thing with um, all the dads on here with us. My dad's going through some things right now. Um, he can't really be on here, I guess you could say. He can't really... He's not really understandable. He's going through some, some cancer stuff, so I brought little men on here. We kind of do a little bit different and go from there. Um, with me, my father has been unbelievable as far as how he's built me as a fisherman. Uh, he raised me from a young age. Carter was, what, I think you were three or four when you went first three, fishing? Yeah, two or three, one of the two. Um, I was around then, but we didn't do the whole bluegill thing. We went out and drum fished off of islands for an entire day. Um, and he was very persistent with it. We fished three days a week between the Delaware Bay, the Chesapeake, um, and anywhere we could really go. He loved it. The big, um, the big gray trout running the Delaware Bay was his probably his favorite thing. He always said that uh, um, he could catch them before anyone could catch them, and he could catch them after anyone could catch them. And he did. And he was a, a little monster. I think that kind of gave me uh, my drive in the whole thing with trying to figure everything out. Um, teaching little man here the persistence and what it takes to push a little harder than everybody else when it comes to trying to figure things out. And I think that makes a difference in a fisherman where it's just there's just fishing and then there's fishermen. So yeah, um, that's my dad. And then we're going to go on to me and little man. Mm-hmm. Little man, what would you say that is your biggest influence? What was your biggest influence growing up fishing? My biggest influence growing up fishing was probably how fun it was and everyone at school is like well fishing's boring I'm like no it's actually fun maybe you should try it and I hear one day I came to school and I hear someone did it and they were actually catching fish and I'm like well it's fun isn't it? and I'm like yeah and it like it just really inspired me because it's, it's fun and something that you what would you say is where would you say the first time that you remember with me that you were just like wow probably the time when i caught that the trout that was a big trout mm-hmm. it was a it was a 28 inch trout it was his first trout he ever caught um in the magathy and <laughs> i think when it came up we were all kind of surprised and called taken back and I don't know. I don't, he didn't have any clue what he just did, but I think the chase of that is what's keeping you going with that whole fishery. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you don't know, little man through or fishes a lot of tournaments with me, and I think that's a that's a big thing with me is that I don't really as and Steve talks about all the time how if you want to be a guide, you don't want to fish anymore. <laughs> you just run a boat basically and. That's where I am anymore with it, and I think I'm getting that mentality. The reason why I don't want a guy is because I want to get my spots up, so I'm just giving him the him. But anymore, man, between you and Amanda, I don't care if I catch a fish anymore. It's just you two yeah. making sure you two actually have a good time. That's why I'm always on the boat, and you're like, can I net the fish, can I net the fish? And you're like, I'm like, no, go catch a fish. So, And Carter's a big helper, and he tries to be you know, helping everybody, so that's why he is the way he is, but... Go catch fish. <laughs> exactly. Um, if you had to pick 
what was your favorite father-son moment on the water? Just me and you? Yeah, just us two. Um, probably us one in that tournament the which, one time. Which one? Ooh. The well, the many out of the first one we finished together. The Outcasters. Yes. Um, there's a tournament that's down down south of us. I guess you could say it's kind of out this way for Stephen Hooker, but um, it's a two day tournament, and basically, little man went up against a hundred. I think it was 180 that year. 180 boats. 180 yeah. boats. And that's not including anglers, just boats. Yeah. And he won speckled trout both days of that tournament. Not in just kids either. No, he's fishing against adults. So he's a little beast, and he pays attention. I'll give him that. He does. He's the one that you put him on the boat, and, I mean, anyone in this podcast will tell you, you put him on the boat, and he's just going to go catch fish. It's not, you can tell him what to do. He'll do the exact opposite because he's a kid, and then outfish you while doing it. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a pain in the butt to try to tell him what to do, and he does the exact opposite and outfishes you. So. Speaking, of, speaking of that, as we were talking before the podcast, um... We had this moment, and it was, we were fishing the Magathy, and um, we were fishing, it was a, we were basically scouting for the tournament, and um, I, we were looking at <clears throat> slicks, and my dad was like, all right, cast here, there's a slick right here, and I, and there was grass on the other side, he's like, no, you're not going to catch anything over there, so I cast it over there, and he's like, why are you casting over there, and I, it was literally the first couple hops, and it was, bam, and it was a 21-inch Trout. He doesn't listen. <laughs> but it's a good thing. It always works out. He's always the one that challenges me and does things that makes me um, question how I think first off, but second off just makes me proud because he works his butt off. He really does, and he fishes all day long with us. Um, he's the one that, when we're done, he's still trying to fish. So um, what about pop-up, Carter? Um, what about, I mean, because he can't be here, obviously, but what about, I mean, not even just fishing, like what, what do you see, what is it, what has fishing with pop-up taught you, I guess you could say? Um, well, it is definitely not to share spots. <laughs> I've learned that a few times. Um, and him inspiring you to inspire me to fish was definitely a good, good thing, because I've probably wouldn't i don't know what i would have done if i wouldn't learn fishing but it happened but um no uh i've learned i've learned different kinds of things with him and all different kinds of stuff the old school way with him he's definitely old school he's stuck in his ways so um what questions would you have to ask me what questions do I have to ask you? Mm-hmm. What made you inspire me to fish? Papa. Um, you, we would spend hours upon hours and upon hours of fishing together. And mm-hmm. not me and you, but me and Papa, yeah. right? Before you were ever thought of. And exactly. I was your age, fishing with him three days a week, and busting her butts from sunup to sundown. And sometimes, um, even later than that, I remember one time, uh, Mama and Carol... Mm-hmm. called the Coast Guard, the Marine Police. It was one of the few times, that, or one of the first times he fished around her when they moved in together. And um, we left at, I think it was 5 o'clock in the morning, got on the water, went out there. 
we didn't get home until almost 3.30 in the morning. Huh? And I was your age. She thought the boat sank and we were dying. So she called the police. Dad got back to the boat ramp. They were there and waiting for something to happen. I mean, it was it was wild. So, like, that's what I grew up with. So taking you out on the boat with me just to teach you, like, little things here, little things there. But you pick up so much more because you do oftentimes the opposite would ask you to do but you still catch fish but you see things you don't you don't just cast there for no reason so you're you're learning you're learning quick um it's inspiring to me as a father because i watch you and anyone else i really take on the boat as far as like you and amanda but mostly you um do really well and and keep up with anyone on the boat and it's like so i taught that kid that and, and it's 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 awesome to watch mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you something else that you've asked me. Uh, what was your favorite moment with me? With you? Hmm. There's a few, but it's probably going to be the same one that you have. Um, to see someone your age and actually put in the effort and bust your butt the way you did that weekend, because we got up, we didn't just stay down there. We tra- we got up every morning at 3, three o'clock in the morning, tra- trailer the boot, put off, fished all day long and I have a picture that's I think is it still not no I have me and you but for, my, for a while it was a background where you could just see you were exhausted as hell but you were walking up to the exact the award yeah yeah where I was for, I had my head on the table like yeah. this that was probably my favorite weekend in general you have your moments the trout um the a certain tournament we fished the, the what last year where you just busted your butt and you could keep up with anybody you, I mean, yeah. you did you did extremely well. Um, I a 31 inch that tournament. And then the random pictures I get when you go stay at my mom's for the day and sending me 30 pound catfish. Exactly. Just because. Speaking of my mom, you gave me the ins- inspiration to in- get Colton into it, and we got into the magazines with that. To be honest. You did. You got. You got. You um, Colton being his his uh little cousin. Mm-hmm. Um. He is going through a lot with uh, diabetes right now too, and Carter has uh, has gotten him on the fishing. And they're basically when they stay at a couple of days a week, he goes to my mom's, and when they're there, they fish all day long. And it's really, I mean, they're, he's driving the same way you did when you were that age. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see you doing that and passing you your traits along as well to him, and then one day to your children. It'd be the same thing, and you're still mm-hmm. learning. You have a long way to go, but one day, one day, one day. What would? <laughs> what was probably the scariest day on the water with me with you? Scariest. Scariest. Um, I don't know. That's a good. That's a good question. Well, I've always, you- I've always felt safe with you because you know what you're doing when. Yeah, on the water. yeah, but there's certain times when I'm I'm okay with it and you're not. There's one moment where, and I'll never forget it because I was just, it was you and Amanda in the front of the boat. And oh, when we went shark fishing. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll do it if you want me to. That's fine. Um, so we went shark fishing in Ocean City, which we don't really care about that because no. it's just shark fishing. <laughs> don't worry about spots, but you're fine. Exactly. Um, but we went shark fishing just to catch black tip because before. You could keep the the black tips. You still can. It's just yeah, a you certain still can. Season, it's just a certain can. season. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, y'all were going for cobia that one day, and you all were hooking bunker 
and catching these big black tips and you had me come home one day and try it and I'm like oh that's it was good the the shark that we had mm-hmm. I don't know what wasn't in the black tip it was a no that was a sharp nose I believe that was it's actually really good you should anyway oh. and um the and we were we went out there because I hadn't done it so we went out there and this I don't know if you I saw it when I went to fish too we'll bring that back up halfway into it but um basically there was this rolling wave and it's the bar out there yeah. outside of mm-hmm. basically um to speed it up we're, we're riding we're riding and they're on the front seat they're joking around doing whatever and I look up and I see this one big roller coming in over the bar and I'm like guys hold on and if you know me if I tell you to hold on it means something because <laughs> I'm not scared to do whatever with a boot and this thing was probably and it had to be every bit of eight foot. I mean, it was the boat went up, <laughs> and it was it wasn't like just a regular swell. It was rolling too. Yeah, and so after that, we turned around and went back the other way. <laughs> but um, no, that was that was I'll, I'll never forget that because it was just it was so funny to see you guys' faces and that. And we had full control of the whole deal because I saw where it was gonna and. But man, it was. Me so and Amanda were like grabbing onto each other, like oh. <laughs> um, I remember chanting on the way in, like I didn't die. <laughs> um, what would you say father to son is your biggest like, I want to say fear what's your if we're fishing together against each other what are you worried about well if you um, if we're like let's make a bet on you, like JLS Rock I mean, it can be that too, but if you're gonna pay, if you're gonna pay for that, but I'm talking about just if you're just fishing against me, not even anything involved. We're just saying I'm gonna beat you today. If we're fishing together, what is what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is knowing that you inspired me into it. And well, no, no, no. I'm just talking about like if you had to think like, okay, we're gonna fish for today, and Daddy's gonna go out here and do this. What do you like? If Daddy's gonna beat me, how? Um, he's probably gonna beat me to where. <laughs> I'm talking about styles. Like, what is like when I look at you and I know I'm going to fish against you. I'm not letting you do top water. No. I'm not letting you do any crazy casts with some specific lure that we're going to use. Exactly. And then most of the times I got you. Exactly. So when you're fishing against me, what are the? When I'm fishing against you, anything can happen, really. So you have no specifics, huh? No. Hmm. And this is this is me and Carter. I mean, I'm sure Steve's was more like history and more like me and Carter are competitive nature. Um, my cousin and I, basically my brother, uh, when I grew up, it's always been trying to compete with each other. Um, who had the best whatever? Football. That, well, that's well what football, I mean. clothes, girls, didn't matter. Wow, okay. <laughs> But with me and you, I feel like we compete when it comes to that more than anything. Mm-hmm. And it's because we're on a level playing field when it comes to that. So it's fun in the same token. Like, we could just spend all this time together. I mean, because we don't go for a couple hours when we go fishing. We go all day long. No, we go long. all day long. Yeah. Like, sometimes we'll wake up at 3.30 in the morning and end up coming back at 9.30 at night. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I feel like, and, and you talk all day long about how you're going to outfish me. I got the biggest fish. I got the biggest fish. Well, Guess what, Daddy? Guess what? What, Carter? Uh, my fish is bigger than yours. So, and that's all day long, nonstop. And that's how we've pretty much fished the entire time we fished together um, as a father and son. And I think that's what makes it fun is because, like, we, we the next time we go, we're like, all right, I'm going to get him. And we'll figure out how we're going to get you're going to get me or you're going to figure out how I'm going to get yeah. you. And it's just so what would you ask me now? This is your first time on here, man. I need you to step yes. up. What are you going to ask me now? Father's son, Father's Day. What are you going to ask me? Probably go fishing. <laughs> I mean, we've always done that, though. What? Going fishing on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. We always do. We're going this Sunday, too. Didn't know that, did you? No. Um, as long as it doesn't blow. I haven't looked at the weather. So, who knows? But it's blowing every day. Um, mm-hmm. In closing here, though. Sure. Um, guess what, Dad? Guess what I got you beat at? What? I have caught a bigger cobra than you. You have. Yours was how big? Mine was 30 pounds and 45 was, inches. Yeah, I think it was bigger than that. No, it was... I, I, I don't even... I wasn't there. Exactly. So, I mean... Steve's trying to show me how big it was. Exactly. 51? 51? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back into it. <laughs> but um, he has a, a much bigger cobia, and if anyone follows us on Instagram or me on Instagram, um, you saw how big that thing was. Or Carter. Go follow Carter, by the way. Um, At Carter Worley. <laughs> but, um... So, the one thing I have over you still, though, is the drum. Drum. The big old drum. The drum. Yes. And I want to get you out there. It's just I feel like every time that we've we've gone, it's blown 30. 30 mile an hour. So, we've had to stay in and done the pup stuff and mm-hmm. the trout stuff. So Like, the last time we tried to go, it was blowing 30, and we didn't even get a bite. Like, if we would have got a bite, I bet we wouldn't even felt it. Oh, well, so. you would have felt it. I promise that. It's just... You couldn't, there was no, I don't have side scan on my boat yet, so we just wouldn't have been able to find them, is all it was. Yeah. So, if you had to think about what you want to do this year, let's have goals. What's your goals? Well, I've already told you some of these. I've already got one off Catch Tuna. You didn't um, catch tuna, you got Bonita. Well, tuna species. <laughs> it was a little teeny, teeny one. No, it was 13 pounds, 56 ounces, and 26 and a half inches. And you ate it. I'm impressed with you. You, you at least tried it. It's I mean, I, I cooked it, too. I ate it raw and cooked it. What's your goals for this year? My goal tuna? this year is definitely catch your bull red. A bull red? And beat Amanda because she's been talking crap about me. Not catching one. That's what she does. I mean, you started it, though. You talk crap the whole time. She's going to be talking crap on you, too. Mm, I'm going to catch a 40. She's still talking. You even bigger than that. 45. How big was hers? I think it was 46 or 47. It was, it was not a small one. Really? I thought it was like... No. No. Yours was 45, wasn't it? Mine was 49. 49. Okay, so I need like a 50. Yeah, you do. Good luck. Because I saw you fight a tuna, and I'm not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what? I mean, my goals this year are going to be definitely a bigger cobia than you. Truthfully, because I've never caught a keeper cobia. I've not really done it much. I've always been inshore, like I've always said in every one of these podcasts. Um, so I might get up with old Steve-O 
or I mean, we can go do it. I don't care. It, it's fine with me. We can do it, but it's just and like traveling so far. We go down there anyway. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But and anyways, they're catching them up north now too. So, well, the Magathie North. My goal is for fishing. Um, I don't know if if you all follow me. I put on my story that I'm going to do a YouTube channel, and to definitely get that started. Time out. So Carter has had a brand new Hero 8 GoPro since Christmas. How many times have you used it? Probably about four or five times. And you filmed how long? My The video that I did at Hearn's Pond was... <laughs> it was two hours. Uh-huh. And, um... I was just fishing for crappy. I was just, I, didn't, I barely even knew what I was doing. So your goal is to have a YouTube channel that's established this year, huh? Exactly. And definitely catch a big tuna. A big tuna. A big tuna. Well, I watched you fight a 13-pound tuna. And hopefully a blue marlin. Oh, gosh. He's he's going hard. Um, So bull reds, blue, fin, or blue marlin, and a big tuna. Exactly. I think I want to see you do the bull red. I want to see you do a big cobia because I haven't been able to see that yet. Um, I want to catch a 45-inch rockfish. What I really want to do is just you and I go down to um, some, I mean, Cape Charles, wherever else, and just fish for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And just camp for the weekend. And camp for the weekend, yeah. Yeah. And then that can be our Father's Day thing, I guess. Yeah, we do that. I don't care. Or a year. We can do that. It's up to you, too. I mean, you, it depends on baseball, because you have mm-hmm. a, a pretty busy baseball yeah, schedule, too. Yeah, speaking of that, I have travel. Yeah. So, let's just say that... I don't, I don't even know what I was going to say right then. I got lost in it. Lost in the sauce. With your little Yeti muff that you're drinking out of right now. It's, Steve had to give it to me. <laughs> um... So, in closing, what do you think that, first off, what do you think that, I can't think, Steve. All right, I'll, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> what, what are your goals? I just told you. Oh, well. I, I, I want a big red. I want to see you. And anymore, I, I'm. Well, I, we've done hunting on this podcast once, right? Yeah. Well, hunting goals. Well, then go with hunting goals. What's your hunting goals? My hunting goals is kill a turkey. I've yet to do that. We can do that. We were supposed to do that this year. And we just fished and fished and fished. And then baseball. Um, I think, truthfully, any goal that I have this year is going to be probably through you and Amanda. Because I want to see you guys excel. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to see you not get a goal this year. So my goal in this year is going to be make sure you get every goal that you want. I'm not so much on the the offshore stuff. Yeah, because a bigger cobia, a red, and a big trout this year, and then I'll just kind of fill in from there. If I catch a dirty thirty, that would be crazy. <laughs> I'm sure the world will know if you catch a dirty thirty. Exactly. <laughs> um. Well, do you want to close it out? Sure. Well, wait, we gotta, I want to talk about the whole tuna thing. Okay, talk about the tuna thing. So, if y'all follow me, you've seen it, but I went fishing with Eric that I've tagged a lot in my stuff. Well, that's your stepdad. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
hopefully he's going to have a great Father's Day with Kira. And um, we t we went fishing, and he knows I've we've gone we were gonna go two times in a row, and each time we've here he's told me a week before, and mm -hmm. it's about the day we're gonna go fishing, and he said and they told me the boat breakdown, mm -hmm. and it broke down every time. This time he told me the day before we were about to go, which that was a great decision, and we actually went, and I caught a tuna. I was the only one who caught a tuna, mm -hmm. well, a bonita, and you had fun. Yeah, and I caught it. We caught a little albacore jack. I, I didn't show it in my pictures, but I mean, it was literally that big. It was good tasting too. We had that. Oh yeah, I've never mm -hmm. had one of those. I have to try it. You know, like when you fish on the pallets for mahi. On the the bowls out there, or you find floating stuff out there? Yeah, we found a big pallet. I I told you we saw a mahi, mm -hmm. but he didn't eat. And um. But no, we rode by, and the guide said that when we rode by, he ate a ballyhoo. You couldn't even tell. Like, he was, like, just flapping on the ballyhoo mm -hmm. on the trolling rig. And um, I caught a I don't know, I caught a tuna that day. It took me 15 minutes to end it in for a 13-pound fish. So what are you going to do when you get a 40-pound yellowfin? Probably lose my mind. I'm, I'm worried about you, period. <laughs> well, Eric was trying to help me, like, make sure I don't lose the rod. I'm like, I'm okay. I was like that with the Cobia, too. Well, you fought it pretty good, but he, uh, Steve helped you when it got to the boat and it was trying to get underneath and just keeping that line off the boat. Exactly. Because all the taste of that line, the, the rub on the You're just the not boat. built for that fight yet. You're not quite, you're not quite enough the, the, the oomph. Well, I had, I had a whole fighting bell on for it. I got you. But, um, no, I had fun on that trip. It was definitely fun. I want to I wanna get you to do it. I will. Whenever. Because, well, for those of you who don't know, um, I, me and Eric and that whole thing get along great. So we fish together. and We, and we, we hunt we, together, we, too. We fish, we hunt, we do whatever else together. So gladly we'll go in a heartbeat with, with them, too. Um, and I think he's fishing... He's fishing Tanger Classic this year too. Yes, but uh, we have Amanda coming with us. But so I don't he, know if. No, he's fishing it, but he's gonna fish it by himself with someone other friends. We'll see. I, think. I don't know if certain things that's happened lately. If Amanda's gonna be fishing with us this year, so it might be all of us guys on the boat. Oh well, she might fish with the girls. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we'll see. We'll see. That's when it's gonna come competitive with me and Amanda. <laughs> Y'all be texting all day long, sending pictures. Exactly. <laughs> and this this year, I, I don't. Mm, I might fish the kids. I don't know. Well, it's already. Yeah, Jonah, you're, Jonah, fishing, you're fishing kids this year. Well, Jonah is. Me and Jonah, I feel like, are the most competitive when it comes to that. Well, I think you do just battle at each other every single year that it's been going. So yeah, it's fun to watch too. And it's someone that Mr. Steve hasn't talked about that we fished with. A, Couple times that he doesn't really like, but uh, Brad uh, Foxwell. <laughs> he does too. <laughs> he does too. Um, they just they just bicker back and forth a lot. Is all it is. Brad Foxwell. I fished with his son Charlie, a couple times, and it's always he's first place. I'm second place. That's no, was. That's not true. Cause you two. Well, I did beat him that one year. You beat him. You all went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We were catching 23, 24, 23, 24. Like, it was back and forth. 
Mm-hmm. And he, he he beat me by I think it was a thirty inch on jerk bait. And that was a good one too, because yeah. um it was two fathers and two sons on the boat, and me and Brad did not help Fish. them no. at all. We well we fished. Y'all kicked her butt, but we didn't uh, we didn't help them. They tied their own rigs. They tied their everything on their. I mean, I I, he has a picture on his Instagram, me and him in front of the boat, him tied up a jerk bait, and me like looking at the camera, and I'm like this. Yeah, so we didn't help them. They was they were on their own. So we just drove the boat and tried to keep up with them. So, um, well, is that it? You want to talk about anything else? I'm I'm good. I I pretty much said my goals. I pretty much said what I'm proud of you for. I'm pretty much said what um what your my drive is with you, and you pretty much said the same thing. So if you have anything else to add, buddy, uh, I definitely heard on the first podcast because I listened to him. Is there anything you regretted to say? <laughs> there he is. So it's uh, uh takeaways, takeaways and regrets. Apologies, apologies. No, it's take backs, apologies and regrets. No. What's the last one? Compliments. 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 So, so, take backs. Do you have any take back? Uh, me having to cut the first time. <laughs> How about apologies? Apologies, no. And then, what was the last one? Compliments. Take compliments. compliments. I, I can't. Compl- what's your compliment? Uh, that I don't, I don't have any. Do you? You don't have any compliments. I'm hurt. Yes, I do. So, take backs. Take back the break. Apologies, nothing. And then, compliments, bro, you're a, a little beast when it comes to oh, all this Oh, I thought you meant, like, just with the whole thing. Yes. No, uh, no. I'm, remember we talked about now you're interrupting? You're a little beast. You, um, you've definitely accomplished yourself over the years as a solid fisherman that I would put up against any adult that I know of around here. Mm-hmm. So... Um, just keep doing you, man. Keep doing it and keep busting your butt and making daddy proud. That's all I can say because mm-hmm. you're well on your way. Like I said, uh, my compliment was be was thank you for teaching me how to do this. And he's on, buddy. Because I'm successfully doing all this and I'm. Oh, you're successful, huh? I am successful. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a monster, bud. So. All right. Nothing else? No, that's it. Okay. All right. We're well, on our way out. Appreciate right. you guys. Hey guys, this is Dave from the Eastern Shorecast reminding you we've got the Tangier Classic coming up. Third annual Tangier Classic brought to you by Thorns Marine. That's 96 days, 14 hours, 54 minutes, and 25 seconds away from right now. So guys, we're gonna be we're gonna be bringing more sponsors on. We're gonna be announcing more sponsors all the time. We will start to announce some dates to have you guys sign on, and we have a brand new app this year. Uh, it's gonna make submitting your catch. Uh, declaring your lay day and keeping up with the leaderboard much, much easier. Again, we've got prizes for ladies, kids, kayaks, uh, powerboat. You have uh, three days. You choose two days to fish. It is in Crisfield, Maryland at the American Legion. Uh, we, uh, we have available species of cobia, rockfish, red drum, uh, perch, uh, speckled trout, gray trout, no, no black drum, as you know. So uh, come on down to the Crisfield American Legion, support a good cause, get some good food, and have a good time fishing. All right, guys. Talk to you later.
Hey guys, it's Dave here with my dad Paul. This is the uh, the Father's Day edition of the Eastern Shorecast, or I believe what we're calling the Dadcast. Say hello. Hey, glad to be here. Real, real pleased to be here on your famous broadcast <laughs> podcast. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a, this is a highly this is a high tech thing for you, right? This is a new hurdle in life. This on the is absolutely at my age. This is a hurdle. <laughs> So we got him. We got him mic'd up. Got the headphones on. Got him on the roadcaster here. This is a this is this is a, a new moment in life here. So we're uh, we're going to talk about fishing, and as we always do, and uh, we uh, we got a really cool perspective on this podcast because everybody, well, Steve has talked to his father, and uh, Kyle has talked to his son, and I have not heard at this point when we're doing these podcasts, I have not heard. Um, that was my father who took the first drink of the podcast, not me. So, no. <laughs> um, so, I've not heard either one of theirs. So, it's going to be really cool to hear uh, everybody's all together. So, we're going to talk about uh, pretty much um, dad's uh, life as it pertains to fishing and all his stops along the, along the road. And uh, kind of how that came to, to maybe bring me into my love for fishing so you uh you were all over the map there right so where did you yes. uh where did you start out well actually started out in after the second world war and i bet you some of the parents are listening to this haven't been born yet um <laughs> in the late 40s and uh my dad got home from the military and uh, we used to fish we were uh, raised up in uh, jefferson county new york and that's jefferson county is a huge county right on the Canadian border. So we uh, we had a camp in Chimeau Bay, which is Chimeau Bay went right out into the Lake Ontario. You know, as you know, Lake Ontario is one of the Great Lakes mm -hmm. and it's fresh water, yep. which in your perspective, you're pretty used to doing brackish or saltwater very, fishing, right? Very much so. So it's a whole new ball game up there in Lake Ontario. And I can talk about a lot of fish that come out of that lake not that I caught them, but <laughs> I do know I knew about them and I saw some of them, and um, so that's kind of that story. Uh, we um, maybe to go a little bit on what I can talk about is what we actually did was went after bass, largemouth bass. Right. What kind and, of boat were you using to do this? Uh, whatever my dad had to come up with. Usually they're probably about 21 foot with a with old Evan Root on it. Mm. Evan Root two stroke pull start. And yep. what what time uh, and what timeline was this? Uh, this was back in the late 40s. Mm. Now the gas tank, uh, I could tell you some stories about refueling in the, in the bad weather, but I won't get into all that. But uh, anyway, um, the lake can get rough. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, it can get rough out there. And that little motor has gas tanks on the top of it. There's no fuel tanks like we have right. nowadays. Piggyback tank. So piggyback tank, and if you ran out of fuel, no matter where you were, you had to fill it quickly mm. with an extra can. So it got a little tricky sometimes. Hmm. But we, uh, we'd leave um, Chimo Bay and go out on the lake. Now, Lake Ontario is half U.S. and half Canada. You may know that. I right. don't know. Yep. And up there in that area, you know, you've got uh, a lot of islands. You've got uh, the rivers and so forth, the tributaries. There's all kinds of bodies of water that go off from the lake, which are all good fishing areas. You know? was, it, was it really rocky or sandy, marshy? What uh, it's we... rocky. rocky. Yeah, you definitely did not want to. Uh, we, don't, we didn't have a lot of sand places like we have here where you might go aground mm -hmm. if you're not watching the depth of the water. But if you went aground there, it was on rock. It was a problem. You didn't, you didn't, you just did not go aground in those areas. <laughs> right. You didn't leave. 
But what we did, uh, and when we went after bass, um, we went out to um, a place called Wolf Island. Now, if you follow Chameau Bay and go out to Lake Ontario, there's a big island there. And of course, in those days, it wasn't inhabited. Now it's probably private property. Right. We used to go on there and catch frogs. Hmm. We used frogs for bait. I don't know if bait frogs, are, as far as I know, are still good bait. I don't. We might try some frogs later today. What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. We could get them. But we used to catch our own bait. There were, back in those days, you couldn't buy bait, actually. They didn't right. sell it. So <laughs> we'd catch frogs, go to Wolf Island, and we'd head uh, up on the Canadian side in Lake Ontario. And we go to a place called the Flats, or Rock Flats, probably about 12 or 15 foot of water. And we'd uh, drop our bait and all, and you could actually see the bass swimming hmm. and it was very interesting to me when i was a kid because i had no idea how a fish would go after the bait right and you, you found these flats with your uh, your your fish finder right yeah that's another story <laughs> yeah yeah dad knew where the where to go yeah he was an uncanny I, I get lost in the parking lot right he could go out there and find these places and and had we didn't even have i don't even know if we had a compass we may have had a compass wow but uh, he would get back at, we'd fish until dark, and he'd find his way back to Chameau Bay in the dark. And it was pitch dark at night. Mm. And he, he used to do it. Just dead, dead reckoning. Dead reckoning, and he'd recognize the shore lights. He knew how the lights looked. Like if we're on heading back to Chameau Bay, he'd say, well, let's make a little stop in Sackett's Harbor. And he'd recognize Sackett's Harbor from the, from the lights on the shore. Not, not too dissimilar from what I do now when we're coming back, you know, from certain areas and you know what deal island looks like in the dark you know what chrisfield looks like in the dark right you get down to eastern shore of virginia the lights thin out quite a bit and you don't you don't really know what you're looking at half the time but yeah i, I can i can totally understand that because you're used to i know when i was when i was younger you would look across at chrisfield and you would see um, just the lights of downtown then then they built the uh the condos and you can see right. Chrisfield from way further away oh yeah now they have that big windmill and you can see Chrisfield from from Virginia because you can see oh, yeah. the the windmill so you can see that windmill from 10 miles away Easy. oh yeah you can yeah what you know that's uh we actually he probably was on those waters a lot before the war before yeah. he had to go into service so he probably knew the shoreline real well too I don't, I don't know how many times he was out long before I was born probably but but the flats were fantastic, and that's what they recommended back in those days when you're going after bass to hmm. go uh, to the flats. And, you know, these bass probably weren't more than 8 pounds, maybe 10 at the most, but doggone it, they could fight. They were fun. <laughs> I think people that listened to this and just said, just heard you complain about an 8 to 10 pound largemouth bass would be, uh, they're, they're probably shaking their head right now. That is, that is, a, that is a pretty good sized bass, well, 8 to 10 you know, pounds. I heard somebody say not too long ago when we were on a fishing trip that you could practically, in those days, you could practically throw a hook overboard with a piece mm. of bacon on it and catch fish. We never went out, we didn't catch something. Right. I mean, there was so much more fish in those days, apparently. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I yeah. have to go back and think about it and what you all have to do nowadays to catch some. But they did have a, and I, I did do a little research on this because I want to be sure what I knew what I was talking about, but apparently. On the bay, they used to something used to, something used to call a bucktail. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was very popular when they were going after musky mm -hmm. and and um, some of those big pike. You know, that's a big fish. Yeah, and they're for very sure. aggressive fish. They're they're a very very aggressive fish. Yep. And um, apparently, the lateral lines on these muskies and the pike 
would hear that thing coming through the water. Yeah. And that's what they'd go after because uh, the pike were more of a schooling fish and the muscalunge or muskies or muscalunges were more solitary. More solitary. Mm -hmm. And they yep. were heavy duty predators. Yep. I mean, these guys. I don't know if you know how big some of them got. They get very big. Actually, a, a friend of mine or a guy I know through the fishing community, uh, J.R. Witzel or Whites, I don't know how. I, I One of the two ways you pronounce his last name. He pretty much has, he had a, what, 22, 23-foot center console, saltwater boat, and right. he got rid of all that and has gotten really, really big into musky fishing. And it's caught some, I want to say some of those fish, they were pushing 50 inches. I mean, they were they big. They get big. I, I could be way off on that. He could be holding the fish way too close to the camera, J.R., but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they look cool. I mean, it's they say it's the fish of a thousand casts. It is. And it's a hard fish to catch. But. Well, it is. It takes a real, real experienced guy to catch a, a muskie, um, and they do run up to sixty-five pounds and fifty-eight inches. I think mm. that's the biggest one to run record right now. But uh, you have to know what you're doing because they're a big fish, but they hang out in shallow water a lot mm -hmm. in reeds where there's a lot of reeds. So you really have to go after them. They're they're very very tough fish to catch. Um, I, I don't think the I think the pike and the trout and so forth and the bass were a lot easier. For sure. But you know the Ontario Lake Ontario was was. I was reading on it the other day. There was a lot of variety of fish in that lake. A lot. Mostly like perch, walleye. Did they have much salmon. in the way of salmon? No salmon run there. They had uh, a Chinook salmon. Chinook, okay. And and the, and the, uh, there's two kinds of salmon. There's Chinook and there was another one, I think. Kobe or Kobo or... Coho. Coho. Coho salmon. Coho salmon yep. and Chinook. Mm -hmm. yep. They had pike. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different sizes of pike. Actually, a walleye is a pike, but it's huh. a different type of pike. Interesting. And, of course, the... The huge fish, the the big musky, mm -hmm. that's a form of pike too. But if you take a look at one of those suckers, they look like a barracuda. They're a freshwater right. barracuda. Yep, they're a very very uh, predaceous fish. Yeah, they a lot of uh, a lot of toothy critters there with the walleye and the pike and the musky. We have a uh, chain pickerel here, but I don't believe here locally to the lower eastern shore. I don't think we have. Uh, pike pike. We have chain pickerel. So, okay. but the state record chain pickerel did come from Salisbury. Oh, so state yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Well, you know, there's a, a brown trout up there in the lake. Mm -hmm. Used to be. It's called a brown trout or a lake trout. Uh, they've been known to go to 30 to 40 pounds. Yep. That's a big trout. Yep. And I, I don't think they're a native species. I think the brown trout was brought over from Europe. I could be off on that. I'm not real sharp on the freshwater trout, but um, I think that is a non-native trout. Well, all these fish we're talking about pretty much are cold water fish. Yeah, and, uh, very much. I imagine with the climate change, and I assume there has been a climate change, uh, they're probably going further north than they have been. So they're probably more over in the Canadian waters. Right. We used to catch some of them in the, in the uh, United States waters, but now I'm imagining probably most of them have gone further north hmm. to stay in the, in the uh, colder water. But uh, it's, it's amazing how many fish there are up in that lake. And... Uh, you know, the thing, when back in the late 40s when I was there, the lake was clean, very right. clean. Right. And then they had a period of time where it got very dirty, and they had, had a massive cleanup. And mm -hmm. I understand now it's back to the almost to the original It is. Clean. So it's a very interesting story because there was a, there was a um, zebra mussel in that, I think it was in that area, that came into the lake system the lake ecosystem through uh the bilges of large ships i think that's what happened but this is a uh this is an invasive mussel right that uh just 
outcompeted the local muscles and uh, really took over. Right. And at first, people were very alarmed, but it actually ended up having really, really uh, heavy implications as far as water clarity. These muscles, as you know, are filter yep. feeders. That's so cool. just like here in the Bay, where we sorely need more oysters to, to right. filter the water, they saw the water clarity in those lakes really improve due to that zebra mussel so yeah the, the great lakes have really have really turned around yeah. i personally have never never visited them but well there's, you know. apparently the fishing has improved since they cleaned the water up so they're getting some of the fish that we used to get years ago right and um but you know up there if you look at a map of upper new york state and jefferson county you're going to see probably Chamo bay where we left and then we go up to, up the bay until we hit uh, wolf island and you look over to your right and that's where you see the mouth of the St. Lawrence River mm-hmm. and the Thousand Islands area. And you've yep. heard about St. Lawrence River and the Thousand Islands. A lot of people go up there and go on tours and all. But guess what? There's a lot of good fishing up there. You used to have an Atlantic salmon run through right. there that I think has dissipated quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's something. And then one other thing I might add is that we can do up there, we used to be able to do up there, is called ice fishing. Mm-hmm. And you can get a lot of walleye when mm-hmm. you're ice fishing. A lot of drinking done. A lot of drinking to stay warm. <laughs> but uh, and cutting that hole in the ice is a little tricky, too. You know, they have some equipment now that makes it a lot easier. They used to have gas-powered augers for a long time. Now I'm seeing a lot of guys on TV that have uh, lithium-ion battery-powered oh. augers to cut through. Very cool. Yeah, I actually watched a show not too long ago. Where they were in Wisconsin or Michigan, I think, and they were spearing sturgeon they weren't fishing for them they oh. they would put these little decoys down there would make these sturgeon come underneath the or into the hole in the ice and they would throw spears at them and kill oh. them and bring them up pretty pretty big well, fish it's a very Huge big fish. fish yep i think the bay has a few sturgeon uh yeah this this past red drum season in, in a uh, area that i'm not going to name i actually saw one free jump i saw an atlantic sturgeon <laughs> jump clean out of the water I knew exactly what it was the minute i saw it pretty wild pretty it wild is. well you know you probably don't realize, I don't know if you've ever been up in the, in the Ontario I don't, no. in the no, wintertime, no. ice is very thick. Yeah. It's probably 15 inches at least. Because we went out there one time, um, my dad took the car out there, I don't know exactly where it was, it might have been on the Canadian side, and we actually drove on it and he did spins on it. <laughs> When, you remember what kind of car it was? It was an old Chevy. <laughs> and a real old <laughs> Chevy. Old Chevy. <laughs> but uh, the ice is so thick, we we're able to do, they actually used to have horse races a uh, little. On the ice. On ice, yeah. It's mm. crazy. Very crazy. So from there, where did, where did your uh, fishing adventure take well, you? Well, I think the next big deal was probably uh, when I was down in Florida, because we all moved to Florida in the 50s. Right. And, of course, my teen years were so busy between going to school and work and everything. I didn't get to fish that much right. in, in the area we lived in, but we lived in near Merritt Island, Cocoa, Florida. And I had no idea until the last few years that we lived very close to what they call the Mosquito Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Indian River, yep. Indian Mosquito. River. Yep. And, of course, we, all I knew about was Indian River fruit, and we did some fishing. But I'm shocked that nobody talked more about in those days about the Mosquito Lagoon and how productive it was. So I you really went not. from the Canadian border to Brevard County, Merritt Island in exactly the 50s. Right. In the 50s. In the 50s. So this, when everybody talks about old Florida and, and what Florida was like before it was developed, you were you were living there. We saw it. Yeah. You could go and pick fruit in almost anybody's property and you didn't really care. Yeah. You know, whatever you wanted. If you wanted tangelo, you wanted tangerine. Navels, of course, came in usually around December and Christmas. Uh, so guavas, mangoes, hmm. avocados, it was all there. 
Now you get shot if you go on somebody's land. <laughs> you get shot for a lot of things in South Florida or Central Florida. <laughs> Man, I don't know. If I'd have known what was there when, and I was there in the 50s, I'm not sure I would have left. But maybe a good thing you didn't know. Maybe a well, good thing you didn't know. You told right. me you told me that story before where you and either your brother or a friend of y'all were at a, a bar or a restaurant or something like that, and somebody was fighting some kind of fish oh, at yeah. the dock. This was... Um, down on the Indian River in Titusville, Florida, and Titusville probably is a lot of people heard about it because of the Cape, mm-hmm. Cape Canaveral, and then later became Kennedy Center. Yep, very popular um, fishing destination. Well, also, very very popular lounge. Mm-hmm. They, they, in the evenings, they'd open the the windows, the shutters up, and you could look right out into the river and enjoy uh, some, you know, refreshments, bre- bre- beverages. Yeah, sure, uh, it's, it's, it's hot, hot beverages. It, yeah, it's hot in Florida. I get it. Yeah, and uh, we watched this guy. My brother Tom and I were sitting there and talking, and we'd keep looking over, and this guy sitting in this dock, and he was fighting this fish for almost an hour. Mm. I couldn't believe it, and uh, it didn't look like the tackle he had was looked like it was a very lightweight tackle. It wasn't a very big pole at all, huh. just a small pole. And finally, after we'd had a couple of refreshments, mm-hmm. uh, we saw him pull this huge game. I mean, this humongous. It looked like a, what do you go, red? Uh, well, see, you told me this story, and I, it's, it's one of three things, and you say it was red. It was red. a white-looking fish. It was very white, but it had a pink tinge to it, because I'm looking at a fish from maybe 50 yards away on a, on a dark light, hmm. you know, lights. See, white, white to silver made me think he had caught a tarpon. And so, in my mind, the fish that would take him an hour to pull in would be a Goliath grouper, a giant red drum, maybe a tarpon, a, a snook would not have taken that no. long to catch. So, but I'm, then you say it's silvery pink. Yeah, I'm thinking a red drum. I'm thinking red drum. A red drum. Of course, okay. we 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 should have probably gone over to the dock and asked the guy what it was, but. We'd had some refreshments, yeah. and we really didn't feel like... <laughs> the motivation had left you? <laughs> yeah, the motivation left us. But, I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, because I've yeah. forgotten about that story. But that was true, and uh, we were thinking, it, and I think it was a drum. I really yeah, do. that sounds about right. But it was huge. It was humongous. And the guy brought it in with light tackle. That's what it took him so long to bring yeah. it in, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So not much fishing was done in Florida, but uh, yeah, you... No, lived. I was pretty busy during the teen years, and then, of course, I finished up my high school in uh, Jack's Beach, Florida, so we had the beach scene. The beach, so, so what year did you graduate high school in the Florida beach scene? 57. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 1957. Know, just a few years ago. Mm, wow. And you know what? Most of my class is still kicking. Wow. Last time I went to reunion, they're all doing real well. <laughs> Must be that Florida. <laughs> Mom is sitting over in the couch saying she was five years old. <laughs> I, th- I think it must have been that beach weather that got us all. You know. uh, I can't imagine the Florida nope. beach scene in the 50s. We took uh, that on the beach. Hey, why not? You know. Yeah. But I had other interests about that time, so I didn't do a lot of fishing on the Jack's Beach. The Daytona 500 was going on then, right? Yep. 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 When they still had the sand turns and the. And the I actually saw. I went the south turn was the one you wanted to be on, and I still remember those cars, and they were real stock cars in yeah, those days. Yeah. Souped up. Actually, a lot of these guys were from the Carolinas, and I don't know if they still had the stainless steel tanks underneath them or not. You the, the Carolinas are a a stronghold of the NASCAR community. Yes, yep. that is well known. Well, yep. You probably realize a lot of those early drivers were. Rum runners. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And yep. they, these cars were the real stock cars, souped up cars. 
if anybody would remember Thunder Road movie mm-hmm. with uh, Mitchum, Robert Mitchum, it was cars like that. And yeah. they were fast. So you remember sitting on the south turn, south turn of the Daytona 500. They, they come on off the asphalt and hit that south turn in the sand and and hit it just right so they could get gather momentum and do a sweep and head back out That's again. That's so crazy. It was crazy. Mm. So from there, you decided to uh, join the Army, and they sent you to? Well, ended up in Anchorage, Alaska, United States <laughs> Army, Alaska. From from Central Florida, well, from yeah. on, from upstate New York to Central Florida to Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, that travel pay was fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure you saved it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what? how about Alaska? What did you do when you were there well, as far Alaska, as fishing goes? We, we did a little bit of everything, but... Um, I can't tell you all the stories, but we did go to a place called the Russian River, and that was a tributary for the Kenai River. Mm-hmm. Yep, well-known. Kenai yep. is a very popular name up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. I think it was named after an Indian tribe, I think. Hmm. But we used to go to the Russian River. Now, I understand that nowadays they're allowing to use flies, but uh, back then we used a special hook. And you understand what we were looking for was getting the the old sockeye salmon, mm-hmm. the red salmon, the yep. red and kind of greenish Real weird looking fish. Right. They don't even look like the salmon you catch out here. These are the ones that get the the hook on their face when they're and then they turn well, red after they spawn. Is that well, they one? actually are a little bit red when they're going up river. Okay. But then when they spawn, they turn totally red and yeah. they start disintegrating. Yeah. Actually, you can see them. Yeah. You don't want to eat them at that point. You right. want to eat them when they're going up. But they the the wildlife people explained to us when we went out to fish. We had to use a special hook. It was like four prongs. Mm-hmm. And what you did is you lined them. You, right. you cast across the river, and then you would... Snag them. Snag them going right. across. Because they won't eat. No, they won't eat. Right. They, they might grab something like... If they have, if you're using a fly, which I think they allow them to use fly now, mm-hmm. fly fishing. But uh, if you have a fly pole, and you catch one of those suckers, and you got the river flowing... And, and plus them pulling on it, it's a tremendous amount of fun mm-hmm. trying to pull one of them in. So you were you were fishing the Kenai Peninsula, right. Russian River for, right. for sockeye salmon. Sockeye salmon. Salmon run in 19... That would be the early 60s. Early 60s. 61, 62. I was hmm. up there from 61 through 63. Hmm. It was a blast. Um, I understand now they do let them use fly. And, and the only thing that the sockeye will do, apparently is they'll see it because they're swimming with their mouth opening and closing, right. you know, as you know. Yep. And they probably grab one of those just out of habit, maybe, because they're not eating. They're not no. feeding at all. It could be a defensive strike. It could be. Yep. But when you hook one of them, you're not only fighting the force of the river, but you're fighting a, a pretty good-sized fish. Mm-hmm. And it is a blast. And we had a lot of fun um, And back then. And, of course, I think... Really, I think there was more fish back then. Than there For are sure. Now. I really think in all types of fish. You see any bears? Blackie. Yeah. But that was another trip. That was a hunting trip. I remember that story. Yeah. You had a, a gentleman that decided to bring a cast iron frying pan on a oh. black bear hunt in Alaska. <laughs> he was carrying so much stuff. Uh. We all had to grab. We were climbing up the mountain to, to make a base camp, and we had to take half his stuff mm. because he carried so much stuff. He, he forgot that you're supposed to be light when mm-hmm. you're going up the side of a mountain. I'm, I'm well aware. I mean, we're in our early 20s then, and we're in pretty good shape, but even then, you don't carry a lot of heavy stuff. No. All lightweight. It hasn't changed much, has it? No, it has not. No, we we do those those hikes with a 50-pound pack, and none of it is cast iron. No. I can't imagine. Cannot imagine. Then uh, uh, you uh, you did some uh, 
some purchasing of, of Inuit goods when you were there too. Do you want to um, do you want to explain to the listeners what a uh, what a uh, usakaput is? Oh man, you remember that? Huh? <laughs> <I did. laughs> uh, well, it is not a PG podcast. I'm Go for it. Not too sure if I can uh, explain totally <laughs> what it is or not without uh, being too risque, but. Um, we, we got them on, on, on this place up in Nome, Alaska, mm-hmm. and a lot of guys went up there in the summertime to pick potatoes, make extra money, because they grew a lot of potatoes up there, right? just like they do in Idaho, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, an Usikapuk is a Russian, I mean, a, a Alaskan name or Eskimo name, or a Lute Indian, I guess you call them a Lute Indians, mm-hmm. uh, for a certain part of the walrus, the male walrus. <laughs> that has been uh, preserved. That's been preserved. Right. And a certain part of the male walrus was a fairly large member, yeah. so to speak. Good for him. And uh, so they would make actually what the elutes used to do with them is use them as clubs. <laughs> Beat each other with them. Well, no, actually, when they were pulling a seal in from the water, you know, they use seals sometimes. You they're mm. allowed to kill seals. Nobody else could, but the elutes yes, right. for food and lard and mm-hmm. so forth. They hit him over the head with the... Uh, you know, I'm sure there are worse ways to die, but... <laughs> well... <laughs> getting clubbed over the yeah. head with a petrified walrus member has got to be high on the list. It was different. Yeah. It was different, definitely different. <laughs> but, uh, oh, but, you man. know, I never have understood, though, and getting back to that Russian River and the Kenai River, uh, you know, when they made it up there and they spawned, when they came back down the river, of course, another thing, too, just a little side note... They would rest. They go mm-hmm. in these little estuaries and yeah, rest. Eddies and whatnot. It was illegal to mess with them when they're in that estuary. You huh. could not do it. Interesting. You could not catch them when they're there. They're resting, and if you if it's, if the natural resources guy catch you doing it, they're tough up in Alaska. Yes, they are. Those yeah. guys carry a, a sidearm about the size of my leg, you know. <laughs> but uh, they don't mess with you up there. But they they uh, you don't do that. But when they come back down river, they you can actually see them disintegrating. Yeah. They're just mm-hmm. literally. Yep. And, of course, the meat's no good at that point. Well, they're a saltwater fish that, that spawns in freshwater, so they are, and I'm going to screw this word up, but they are, I believe, anandromous. Ah. So that means they live in saltwater and are spawning in fresh. But right. they, But the whole time they're in fresh, they're slowly dying. They're right? slowly dying. Yeah. And, of course, that specific you know, type of salmon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, everything is up in Alaska is all Pacific type stuff. Even though you have the Gulf of Alaska, mm-hmm. it's still got the Pacific Ocean yeah. beyond that. So For sure. everything you talk about is, is Western uh, mm-hmm. fish and all. So they're quite a bit different than a lot of the fish we have here in the Eastern Shore and yeah. Eastern side of the United States. But For sure. it was a real blast. Uh, when you hook one of them, and the guys that use uh, fly rods and hook one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, a buddy of mine hooked one in a tail. Ooh. And that was a, a real blast. He had a fight on his hands, didn't he? He did. And, then, of course, we had a, a friend of ours was was an officer, so we back to uh, his quarters, and we cooked them that night. <laughs> fresh salmon that night. Pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was good. Pretty cool. And I know a lot of guys, when they're up there, they, they all they can think about was going home and wanting to go on leave, and I'm saying, I tell a lot of guys, you know, you may not get it back up here again. It's true. It's expensive to come back up here. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it while you're here. Don't For worry sure. about going home. That's what I did. Every chance I had, we we camped out. We we climbed mountains. We fished. We hunted. We did everything we could do. You know. There's a, a picture of you guys playing volleyball, right, it, at the barracks. And I, f- I believe you guys were all shirtless, and that was like. No, know. that wasn't at barracks. That was Operation Timberline. Oh, okay. It. Um, 
it warmed up to zero degrees. Oh, so you decided to play volleyball. Yeah, yeah so we're going to play. Yeah. We're gonna, we took our shirts off because we were been 50 <laughs> below zero. And when it cooled up, it was like a heat wave at 50, zero degrees. So we went out and played mm. ball. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> but, so how long were you in Alaska? About two years. Two years. And then you left there and you went back to Florida? Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you a little okay. sideline yeah, on that, too. It's not yeah, fishing, yeah. but... Okay. Um, I had the 45 ACP at the time, mm -hmm. and I used the uh, armor's holster, which was a holster you wore just under your left arm, basically. Sure. Mm -hmm. But um, you could, uh, it wasn't concealed carry back in those days in Alaska. You right. could have a weapon. You could walk the streets with a weapon. It doesn't, didn't matter. It could be loaded weapon, rifle or pistol or whatever. So most of us had sidearms. Yep. And, of course, one of the things in Alaska, too, that they always told us, and... and and I know we're getting a little away from fishing, but when you hunt, you take nothing less than a 357 Magnum out with you, a sidearm. Because yeah. if that, if you're hunting grizzly or any of those big bears, and you don't stop them with your rifle, and your rifle hangs up because you realize you're in very, very cold weather. Mm -hmm. And we used to use stuff called goose grease on our, our 45s. Yep. Otherwise, they'd hang up because regular grease would freeze. Yep. But you better have a heavy-duty weapon to stop that 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 bear if he's coming after you. So a nine millimeter would not work? Nine millimeter, not slow him down. <laughs> and I, we, I talked to a couple of those uh, old fellas um, that were there and, uh, you know, and they said, you know, I asked one gentleman that was really pretty rough looking, I mm -hmm. said, what happened to you? He says, well, I shot a grizz and he kept on coming. Mm. And uh, they're called sourdoughs. Yeah. You know why they're called sourdoughs? No. Because they're sour in Alaska and I haven't got the dough to leave. <laughs> but, but anyway, I did, I, did, I did talk to some of those fellas because I was in PIO at the time, so yeah. I did a lot of interviewing. And uh, anyway, that's what they told me. This guy was pretty torn up. He had a lot of scars on him and mm. so forth. And he had, he had shot this grizz and his rifle hung up on him. Mm. And he had, didn't have a gun big enough to stop him. So a lot of them carry 44 Magnums is what they carried. We have an ongoing... Um discussion about nine millimeter versus 45 yep and uh when i when we when i go out west and elk hunt i carry a, a 10 millimeter which is pretty much the longer version of a 40 right right and they everybody says that is the bare bare minimum for yep. grizz defense um i mean i know a lot of folks carry much larger handguns but uh kyle who's on this podcast is a firm believer in, in the effectiveness of a nine millimeter so well i have a nine mil mm -hmm. and, and semi-automatic but um, I don't go bear hunting. Right. <laughs> with it or with anything else, right. actually. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's it was fun. It was Alaska was was an adventure. Uh, we just really really enjoyed the fishing and the hunting and everything up there. It was uh, it was a tremendous time up there. Yeah. I really uh, actually hated to leave when the time came, but um, it was uh, it was a beautiful area. They um, we learned a lot of stuff about wildlife and all, and and we learned one thing too. And we're going between the barracks where we live mm -hmm. and headquarters where I work. Never get between the moose and her calf. Yeah. Always walk around because mm -hmm. they were feeding um, because of the heated pipes we had going to the barracks where we lived. The grass was there. Green, they, they'd right. come down into the valley where Anchorage was and feed on the greenery. Yep. And she, the calf would be over here and the cow would be over here. You definitely do not get between them. Yeah. Our uh, last elk hunt, we were probably two hours into it, three hours into it, and walked upon a, a bull moose, two calves, and a cow. 
and uh, that was that was Steve's first trip out west, and that was I think the first wild animals he saw was a, a bull right. moose and his and his family, and that thing I mean it was gigantic, first moose I've ever seen, and I, I mean his knees were five feet off the ground, you know, oh, yeah. gigantic oh, yeah. Huge creature, animals, and we definitely gave him uh, a wide berth. Well, a lot of guys were on these uh, on on their uh, guard towers at night. And the moose are coming up, stick their face up at the window. It's quite, a, quite a sight when you're about half awake. You I know? bet. I bet. But that's uh, it's a great country, and and uh, I see why people like to go out there on on tours and all. But it's 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 fantastic country out yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Good place to hunt and fish. So your next uh, your next step on the on the fishing adventure was what? Well, actually, in Virginia, uh, yeah. my former father-in-law uh, was a big flounder fisherman. Mm-hmm. He liked flounder. And uh, we used to go up to the uh, Rappahannock River mm-hmm. and uh, near Tappahannock. Yep. I always gets confused on that. Tappahannock is actually the name of the town, and Rappahannock's a river. Yep. Right? And we go there in the York River, but the Rappahannock River is when we used to get a lot of flounder. And we'd always go rent some skiff or something, wasn't anything fancy, and go out there. And I can't remember what we used for bait. It was live bait. I'm pretty sure it was live bait. It's probably Spot or Shiner or something like that. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Mm-hmm. Usually it was minnows. Yeah. And you never, we never went. We didn't catch half a dozen flounder, mm-hmm. and I mean good sized ones. Never went without beer and never came back without flounder. Exactly right. <laughs> came back with no beer. And all flounder. A lot yeah. of flounder. Yeah. Yeah. I but usually I, come back with no beer like, and no flounder. I, I just think fish no, in those days would bite on just I mean, any, almost anything. Yeah, I think you were dealing with a much larger population for sure. For sure. Leslie uh, detests flounder fishing because it, it usually ends up we don't catch anything so really and you and i went on a trip recently right. and you i think yep. with you, i didn't catch a thing well the water was dirty that day very though. dirty i didn't catch anything you caught what two it was slow little babies yeah little ones but yeah. we never went ever ever that we didn't catch at least a half a dozen of them. we ended up throwing a lot of small ones back yeah we kept the big ones mm-hmm. and um we just uh, you know and it was just the way it was in those days it seemed like i'm glad i lived back in the days when you could take a catch a grasshopper and put it on a hook and catch something with it. Yeah, you know, or a, a bloodworm. Bloodworm uh, night crawlers were one of our favorite baits we used to use back in the day. Because you know, I I never bought bait. Right. I just caught I caught my own bait or whatever, and uh, it just seemed like fish would bite on almost anything in those days. Well, we you know we are lucky that we live in a certain part of Maryland where I mean, if ninety percent of Maryland's fishery is not in great shape i mean people that live on the western shore or to the north end of of the bay have very very limited uh fishing opportunities because of the overfishing and and water quality and overpopulation and and all the different things but you know the 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 tangier sound has persisted in having a lot of a lot of different fishing opportunities like we're we're all going to go fishing this afternoon and you could catch you know, rockfish, speckled trout, sheep's head, um, red drum, black drum, perch, right. spot. Well, I mean, most most likely we're going to catch rockfish. Hopefully we catch something. But rockfish and, and speckled trout will probably be what we catch. And the speckled trout have really come back strong. They've come back strong in this mm-hmm. area. They yeah, really it's, have. Uh, well, everything is cyclical in this world, you know? Seems that way. And uh, we're going to get to our next subject. We're going to talk about the gray trout. All right. But, uh, you know, the bay is a very, very productive it is. body of water. And, and 
Uh, we really need to try to keep it clean. It's uh, over the years they've been working on it. Now this society to keep the bay clean, and it's very important because that is probably one of the most productive body of waters there is, other than maybe Lake Ontario. Lake uh, Ontario has a large variety of fish, as as we talked about. But yeah, I want to say it's the third largest tidal estuary on the planet. I, again, my the facts on that might be blurry, but. Um, the Chesapeake Bay is, is a very, very important ecosystem yes. as far as saltwater and brackish water fishing go. Yeah, for sure. And it's more brackish as closer you get to the ocean. It, depending on the rainfall right. and all that, the, the, it gets almost true salty. Yeah. Like we start to have, we're starting to have more and more Southern, um, fish species like Pompano, uh, gag grouper, Spanish mackerel. It used to be that Spanish mackerel, it was kind of touch and go as far as whether right. they'd show up in the summer but they're almost like clockwork now once the spanish show up you know the, the cobia are around that's also a pretty well-known southern uh, species the red drum right all those things so uh triple tail well you know it makes me wonder uh as you go further north on the bay mm -hmm. it gets the water is fresher in fact it's probably almost fresh water when you get up to the very top yeah for sure so by the same token, is the water cooler up there? Are we getting a different variety of fish in the cooler water? Yeah. Uh, fresher water uh, than we do down here? Yeah. So you have uh, the Chesapeake Bay watershed goes all the way up into New York State. So, yeah, you're getting a lot of uh, stream runoff, you know, right. delayed stream runoff from snow melt, rain, whatever, in the higher elevations. It's, uh, yeah, making its way down that watershed into the bay. And usually, the further north you go, the cooler, fresher, and technically the more oxygenated the water is but right. you have things like runoff from baltimore annapolis dc uh other metropolitan areas that can screw that up and, and unfortunately in the main stem of the bay every year we end up with a uh, very low dissolved oxygen level so it creates almost a dead yeah, zone there is some dead zones yeah no so oxygen. that's a problem and that again is why the tangier sound because we are off that main stem we're off right. kind of the beaten path we don't get all of that runoff and the from the conowingo dam and all that right usually we don't so but yeah i mean yeah usually the further north you go the fresher it gets and that's cool you know yeah because people in the spring will be catching uh they'll be out there trying to catch uh spawning rockfish and they'll also catch largemouth bass right along oh, yeah. with them so oh, they're yeah. they're intermixed yeah I've never fished. I don't there, know if you get any Canadian fish that far, but no, probably. I don't think not, no, not nowadays. Probably not. Probably not. So, you know, and, and going back to Canada and, and United States, I don't think back in those days we even had a fishing license. Be very frank with you. I don't remember Dad ever flashing <laughs> his fishing license. I would imagine the statute of limitations recall. is gone on that. Oh, it's yeah. totally different. I don't know nowadays whether you could leave. Uh, Chameau Bay and go up the bay and, and go into Canada without having a special Canadian license to fish. I'm sure well, it's changed a lot in these days, you know. I'm, I would imagine they have some reciprocity there, like Maryland and Virginia. They they uh, honor each other's fishing license. I would hope so. They do, but the problem is that like Maryland and Virginia have different seasons for different species. So there is a period right. of time where if you catch a rockfish and decide to keep it, right. you can't cross the Virginia line the rest of the day because their season may be closed. Oh, yeah. I'm so, sure Canada and the United States have something worked out on I'm that. I'm sure they do. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they but do. But you're talking some nice fishing up that way. Yeah. But, you know, um, we mentioned trout a little while ago, and I think probably the most current fishing adventure we can talk about is Hooper's Island. Okay. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Well, back in the day, uh, Linda's dad 
Oh, William Aaron. Otherwise known as? Bubber Aaron. Bubber, yeah. Right. He was a, a, a small, short man, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> 320 pounds short. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Six, three and a half. Yeah. Uh, what, size, what size wedding ring did he wear? 18. An 18. 18 wedding ring. <laughs> Bubber Aaron was an outlaw, no <laughs> doubt about it. He was a good man. He was a very fine gentleman, but I think he was... A little bit of an outlaw, you know. Yeah, well, you know. But anyway, we went fishing. Uh, he said, uh, I think at the time we were living in uh, Virginia, and over in northern Virginia, uh, mm-hmm. Falls Church. And we came for the weekend, and he said, we're going to go out at the gray trout are running. Mm-hmm. Now, gray trout, do you the, remember gray the tide trout? tide runners, yeah. And they're not around anymore, but uh, as I understand, everything is cyclical. They may be back someday. Yeah, we're seeing some smaller ones here and there. And, and you know? you're getting a lot of rainbows in here or speckles. No, no, no rainbows. Specks. Speckled, yeah, specks. specks. Yeah. You're getting a lot of speck, but I uh, didn't have speck back in those days. We had a lot <laughs> of gray. Gray trout are weak fish, I think. Yeah, yellow fins. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I guess they call it weak fish because their mouth is so tender and weak that you had to have a net or you'd lose them. Right. When you bring them in. Right. But anyway, he said, we're going after some um, gray trout. So the deal was back in those days that you'd go on out into the bay. We left from Hooper's Island, mm-hmm. went to the bay. Went he's, not, about- he's not saying it right, is he? Hooper's? Hooper's? Is it Hooper's? Hooper's. Hooper's Island. Okay, sorry about that. Because yeah. uh, I'm married to a Hooper's girl, uh-huh. right? Yep. But uh, we'd go out there, and, and they also talked about, you know, that a lot of times they'd hang out where the drop-off was. So we'd go out where it's 30 foot, and then there would be like a cliff or a drop-off mm-hmm. right at that point. Heavens knows how deep it went at that point. Some say 100 feet or better. But Yeah, you were fishing you the know. edge of the shipping channel, probably somewhere around buoy between 72 and 70, maybe 68, something. Yeah. Probably not that far. But yeah, probably yeah, right where the ledge goes. Yeah, and we'd anchored out, and uh, we'd always bring a battery and get a big spotlight and put it in the stern of the boat. But we would throw. I think we're probably using peelers. Oh, that was a popular bait back mm-hmm. then. I think they still use peelers yeah, well, now. I imagine. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, we would we we'd a double hook on there. We had two hooks. Top bottom rig. Yep. Yeah. And we'd throw it in and. Uh, Honest to goodness, I had never seen fishing like that since. <laughs> we would bring two of these bad boys in at once. And I'm not talking about small fish. Right. These things were probably 16 inches or better at least. Oh, they got to be bigger than that. 20 inch, 24 inch. I don't know. What he used to say, long as his arm. Now he's saying 16 inch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're probably at least, yeah. at least 20 inch fish. I would anyway. say, yeah. They were big fish. Right. Okay. And two at a time. Uh, it was amazing. It just I couldn't believe it. You know, and that was we had so many fish coming in. We we're getting our line sangled up. You know, trying to unhook them and get it back in the water. So all I got to do is catch a get you to catch a fish today bigger than twenty inches, and it'll qualify as amazing. Yeah, well, that was amazing to me. I, <laughs> I mean, bring I gotta two, know I gotta know where my my uh, goals yeah. are here. Well, know? what do you think they weighed? Twelve pounds a piece, maybe fifteen. I don't know. They're pretty good sized fish. She was. I was, so I was gonna say the the rest of the story is. She got seasick, right? Well, I wasn't going to bring that up, <laughs> but it was a little rough that night. Yeah. It was the boat was in, you know, uh, Bubber's boat was pretty sturdy. It was a work boat. It was built by his his uncle, mm-hmm. and uh, a very very o- O'Neill Dean, right? O'Neill Dean, and mm-hmm. uh, built a lot in the mid seventies. And as people are building boats now that train under O'Neill Dean, mm-hmm. that boat but, is still working. Still working. Still working. It's hard to believe, and yep. that was one fine boat. Yep. 
And, uh, and a little side note on that too, Bubber was the first one to put a diesel engine in his work boat. On the island. Caterpillar on the island, Hooper's Island. No. Did I say that right? No. <laughs> Hooper? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, they came in on a Sunday uh, with a big Caterpillar diesel on a barge mm -hmm. and, and put that engine in that boat and pulled that big old uh, Chrysler engine or whatever V8 en gas engine he had in there and put that diesel in there. And he had, he recently went to Caterpillar because he said they started better in the cold weather because, <laughs> you know, these guys go out at five in the morning or earlier and it's pretty cool out. right and you want an engine would start right up but yeah. anyway he was the first guy to put and they all got they all got diesels now yeah probably. most of them do have diesels now yeah you'll hear a few out there with a gas motor and you can hear them a mile away they're they're loud so yeah well, that was it got a little rough that night and um we were having a blast bringing them in i mean we're bringing them in as fast as we could <laughs> gosh we had a lot of fish to clean that night <laughs> but anyway um and I don't want to say a fish story that they were 30-inch, 36-inch fish. And no, we'll go with pounds. that. Yeah, we'll go with you that. Know, yeah, yeah they, they weren't that big, obviously, <laughs> but they were nice-sized fish. Right. And it's a shame the gray trout uh, aren't around, but I think they're going to come back. I really do. I feel like everything is cyclical, and they will be back. Let's hope so. But anyway, uh, my spouse got a little green around the gills <laughs> that night. I don't know why, but she got a little green around the gills. So we had to leave, we had to uh, stop that fantastic fishing trip and head back in. <laughs> a little early. It was huh? a little rough. Yeah, we had to head in a little early, but we were really catching some fish. Mm. That was, uh, to me, that was really a spectacular time. I have never caught fish that size two at a time. Yeah. I've had similar experiences like that with my wife. Honestly, not far from Hooper's Island, there's a. Uh, on the southwest side of that, there's a spot that I like to go in the fall, and I had rockfish. I mean, they, they were hitting the surface, and they, they had to be 30, 36 inches, like, consistently. And I was wow. catching them one after another after another, having a, having a great time. This is probably, like, three, three years ago, maybe something like that. And she was with me, just her and I. Wow. And um, she stopped fishing. She started getting real quiet. wasn't saying uh -oh. a whole lot. I'm like, oh man. Uh oh. And so she starts telling me she's got a headache. And as you know, she she deals with migraines from time to time. And I'm like, man. I mean, these these fish are hitting the surface like cannonballs everywhere. I mean, it was every cast, every yeah. cast. Oh, that's and I'm amazing. just sitting here shaking my head. That's like, almost a once in a lifetime to me. I, I don't go fishing that much anymore, but yeah. that was a white once in a. And you know, we forgot one little fishing trip from Cape May, Cape May, New oh, Jersey. Oh yeah, remember yeah. Cape May, New no, Jersey? I do remember this trip. Yep. We uh, we were the only two that went. Yep, you and I. And we were visiting our very good friends Chris and Terry up there. They had a place at Cape May. I was probably what 10, 12 years old, somewhere something like in that, that range, yep. I'd say. And we decided to go fishing. Mm -hmm. And I won. The, you did with a great trigger with a fish. Trigger fish. <laughs> you won things. the pot. Yep. I didn't know you could eat a trigger. Oh fish. yeah, they're a pain in the ass to clean, but they you, are. Yeah. Yep. But I got the first mate to clean it for me, so <laughs> I had to tip those guys pretty good yep. for that. Deal, you, won you, know? the, you won the pot, high I hook won of the, the day. Pot. Yeah, yep. it was a pretty good sized pot. So I felt generous so I could tip the first mate there pretty you well go. for helping yep. me out. And I, I believe Terry cooked it that night, didn't she? She did, yeah. yeah. I mm -hmm. had no idea you could eat trigger fish. Yep. In fact, I don't think I knew what a trigger fish was. Until that day. <laughs> but that was a real blast. That yeah. was a, a party boat that we went on. It was good. Uh, I don't. Uh, I've never been on a party boat that I didn't get seasick on because normally yeah. those party boats 
they 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 the, I think they when roll. you get seasick you roll. Yep. There's that rolling sensation you get. It's they not roll. the choppy mm-hmm. stuff you get with a 22, 25 foot boat going out yeah. in a three foot wave. You don't get sick on that. You can. Well, I don't. <laughs> you can. I think you get sick on this. But we went out to Florida one time on a, on a big party boat. And uh, all of us, my brother John and myself and Linda, we went out and we all got sick that mm-hmm. day. And I cared, I actually had two hard-boiled eggs in my pocket. <laughs> That's a terrible choice. Thinking, well, they told me if you had those and you started getting seasick, Oof. you held on to the egg. <laughs> I don't know. You definitely don't want to break that shell, though, because no. that, that would be bad. Yeah. But I, that boat rocked and rolled, and it, we all got sick. Mm, poor Leslie. She gets sick floating in the bathtub. It don't take, it don't take much. <laughs> well, you know, we all went out over the side and yelled Ralph a couple times. Mm-hmm. And after that, we are fine. Yeah. And we went about our fishing, and we caught a whole mess of fish. When I go offshore, um, I, I know that I know my system, and I know what type of fishing I like to do and what type of fishing I don't like to do. Right. And the, the fishing that I, I just gave up on doing offshore was the tuna chunking where you just float out there. Oh. And throw, mm-hmm. you, you just throw bait over the side all day long, and it's the heat of the summer. And it just it gets me. If I'm going offshore, I'm I'm trolling. That's that's what I do. And I don't look down. I don't I don't put my head down to the bottom of the boat. I don't do any of that because right. as many hours as I spend on the water, I I got yeah. that curse from from this one over here, the the seasickness. <laughs> so I've got to be careful. I know uh, Chuck and I went fishing down at the tunnel not too long ago, and we were out over top of the tunnel, like but over top of the tube, and it was rolling. I mean, we're out on my boat. And it was like a three foot swell. I said, Chuck, we got about an hour. Like I can I can hold it for about an yeah. hour. Wow. You know, and you start getting the the hot flashes and the the oh, saliva going and the coppery the metal metallic oh, yeah. taste in your we mouth. You can't get any relief from it. No. I tried going below deck, I tried going up deck, I tried everything else. Nothing works. Nope. No. Nope. Well once you um if you get lucky enough to lean over the side and yeah. Yell Ralph a couple times, and usually that'll uh, relieve it, you know? I fight it to the bitter end. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Leslie is yet to see me actually throw up from being seasick. I'll just suffer and suffer and suffer. Oh, she man. she will throw up, and you won't even know she's thrown up. She's, she does it so much. Bless her heart. She'll go offshore to go tuna fishing, and she'll be seasick before we even start fishing. Oh, man. She's, she throws up all day long, all day long, and still goes. And I think... As as we're getting older, the the drive to do that is, so. is dissipating. Yeah, <laughs> but well, you know, she that just, trip we man. made out to the canyons mm. that time, and we got those northerlies coming back. Yeah, it was rough. I didn't get seasick on that one. I don't know if you if, did. You don't I don't think you got seasick on that trip. No, either. when it's really rough like that, I don't get seasick. When the boat is moving, I don't get seasick. Well, that Albemarle was a good sturdy boat, but I tell you what, there was some uh, moments there when those uh, southerlies were coming in at us about ten foot high. Uh, that uh, that got a little exciting there for a yeah, while. Yeah, well, that that was a twenty six Albi, and they're known for being a little rolly, and, and yeah, we were taking are. a big, big swell on the yep. on the beam, and there was a couple times that thing leaned over. I wasn't sure if she was going to come back. Whew. Yeah, so she's a V haul boat, right? Very deep V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. She would roll, and she hung over there for a couple of waves. And I think the gentleman that was driving the boat had really enjoyed himself that day. I think so too. Yep, and he had a uh, an Aerosmith um, uh, tape that I, I heard. He remembers much of it. I remember hearing a lot of Aerosmith over and over and over <laughs> again that day. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder if he was even aware of what was going on. I don't know. But well, it was he had, a blast. It was a good trip. Yeah. But those southerlies, uh, I had no idea. 
He had a friend of his that was on the boat that one day, and that man was passed out on his feet. Do you remember that? The other guy that was there? Oh, yeah, little yeah. Little skinny guy. I don't, I don't know. What was wrong with him? I didn't think he drank too much. Too much adult <laughs> beverage, right? Yeah. Well, that was when the... Uh, the swampland was burning in the Carolinas, yep. and we could not even see Ocean City coming back. It was just a smog yep. uh, coming back in. I think from 10 miles away, you start seeing that I smog. I remember that. You couldn't see Ocean City yep. at all through the smoke. And those, yeah. uh, those, those swamps were burning for weeks at a mm-hmm. time. I do remember that. That was really, really bad. But yep. I don't think I've ever been that length of time in water that was rough because I... Being on the Lake Ontario, we, we had some days that were pretty rough. I yeah. mean, you think freshwater doesn't get rough, but it can. That lake, all the great lakes can get rough on you if you're if you're caught out there and you don't. You can't read the freshwater lakes like you can the saltwater. I don't think. Yeah, I mean they both have their their things. But I mean, with the ocean, when you fish the ocean, it is it's an endurance thing. I mean, when we go fishing, it's a three hour ride out. Yeah. Three hour ride back. The last trip I I went on this year. I think I left the house. I think I got up at 12:30 or 1 1 a.m. and I was on the boat leaving Ocean City by 2 a.m. Wow! And I got home at 9:30 p.m. That's a long day. Yeah, and I sleep all the way out, and yeah. I sleep all the way back, and I sleep a little bit that. in between, honestly. But I can sleep real easy on the boat. But it, it's a long day. Well, you know, when I was a kid, and I, and I think about it sometimes, and not to go on too long about fishing without. Yeah, we do about that fishing. all the time. Yeah, but. Uh, I used to have an old town canoe. It mm-hmm. belonged to my grandmother. It was probably, I don't know, the average one's about 17 feet. I think this one might have been about 12 foot. Right. At least. It was the the, the canvas, green canvas stretched over ribs. Right. So not, ribs. not the fiberglass one, a true no, canvas canoe. No, they're true canvas old town like they right. used to make, or they still do if you want one. And I used to take off in that thing, and we'd go for, I'd go from Chameau Bay over to Henderson Harbor in it. Hmm. And I was there one day, and with my buddy, I he used to have a camp over there, and I'd go over and visit him. I got caught, and a storm came up, and I knew if I didn't have that canoe back, you're gonna be in trouble. I'd be in serious trouble. So I learned a lot about how to maneuver in, in rough water that day yeah. by myself in a 12-foot mm. old town canoe. But I learned one thing, and they told me is, is keep your bow pointed at the waves, and that's what sea. I did. Yep. Luckily enough, the waves were coming my way. And I got back into the bay, got back into the camp with that canoe. But I was only eight years old at the time, eight or nine years Jeez. old. I can't imagine letting my grandson do something like that. <laughs> uh, I used to do it all. I don't think they even realized I did it, probably. <laughs> but I had no fear of the water. And right. uh, we just go out in that little canoe, and I'd go everywhere in that thing. Yeah. And uh, if it got rough, well, I'd just do the best I could to get back. I guess I was lucky. Yeah. I guess so. I've been out in some pretty rough weather in my day, and uh, I've yet to, to panic or anything. I just figure, well, we're going to make it one way or another. You either are or you aren't. Right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we've done uh, we've done 54 minutes here, man. Oh, man. Can you believe that? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it goes quick. I told you it would go quick. You get to talking. That's how yep. it goes. Well, we covered a lot of ground. We did. We did. So you ready to go fishing? I am ready to go fishing. All right. Well, happy Father's Day. Thank and, you. And uh, love you, Dad. Thank you. Love you, yep. too, son. All right, man. All right, anything else? I think that'll do it. Okay, see you guys.